Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Nana. Shanna, Shanna. Oh, this whole Nana, Shanna business got everything all just messed up down at the office. Uh, we are talking about Brazil. Uh, 1985, director Terry Gilliam. Uh, Brazil, just... Like, this is one of my favorite movies. I, I don't know if it's necessarily... I don't know if it would be in my top ten anymore. Certainly when I was a budding film nerd in my teens, this was, like, in the top five. Easy. Oh, I would have... This is my first time seeing it, but I would have loved this if I had seen it as a as a teenager or a young adult. I mean, I, I still do love it, but I would have loved mm. it then, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I am pleased that it totally holds up it has definitely been a few years since i've revisited it but uh this viewing i mean yeah it's it's still great uh i i think especially in that jonathan price's character is non-heroic mm -hmm. like there is no point at which he is actually heroic he is just this corporate drone and he can almost conceptualize that he's kind of the bad guy but not quite <laughs> Like it's in his uh, dreams. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Even in his dreams, he's not helping. No, he's <laughs> not doing much. So there are a lot of different cuts of this movie. We watched the final cut from the Criterion Desk. I do have the older Criterion release with all of the cuts, uh, which uh, I it the the problem is that it's a very old release and it's not anamorphic. It's like one of the first fifty Criterion releases, but. You know, one I still have kicking around because it's a cool set. It's three discs. It's uh, It has the notorious Love Conquers All cut. Oh, what is... <laughs> Do I want to know what that is? Yeah, so this is a movie that had a very tortured production history. Uh, you know, it's Terry Gilliam, and he was not... He, he is one of these directors. His movies cost a lot of money. They take much longer than anyone expects. And they don't turn out being like crowd pleasing stuff. They're they're not a movie. They're they're not a Hollywood blockbuster type of thing. But they cost like a Hollywood blockbuster. They take as long <laughs> as one. So they they end up coming to the studio, and you know this movie comes to the studio, and they're like, mm, people are going to be really upset about this movie. This is a Christmas movie. We were thinking of this as like a Christmas tentpole. Mm. So <laughs> they tried to take it away and recut it and hold it hostage and they they tried to make it a happy ending so we'll Ow. talk about that yeah 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 see that's the thing we'll talk about that uh it's you a lot to reshoot things no no they didn't no. reshoot anything oh, they no. certainly weren't going to go back and do that are you kidding me they didn't have uh, the no, money yeah. <laughs> they just cut not. a lot out there's not much left i think let me take a look see if i can find uh the the length of the Love Conquers All cut here. Um, like the last half of the movie would almost have to not happen. It <laughs> ends quite a bit earlier. Like, I, I will, when we get to it, I'll point out exactly where the Love Conquers All cut ends. Uh, I, I'm, I'm taking a few guesses in my mind. But yeah, I'm, I'm I, curious. You can probably guess, uh, but it, it is definitely, it makes no sense. Uh, it was 94 minutes. 
<laughs> that's, that's an hour less. Yeah, yeah. This movie is 142 minutes, I think. Uh, it's, yep. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a lot shit. shorter. They had to cut out a whole lot of stuff. It doesn't, it's not coherent. And like the way it ends, it's just like, how? I don't, I don't understand how that happened. <laughs> but wow. Yeah. Oh, man. So Terry Gilliam, he just, he refused. He he was not willing to deal with that. And he took out an ad in the newspaper, like a full page ad in, I don't remember which, uh, in Variety magazine, uh, just directly calling out the producers saying, release this movie in the cut that it <laughs> deserves. And, you know, once some critics got a hold of, like, saw the two different versions, they're like, this is absurd. <laughs> so... Uh, he did win out eventually, and it's he's lucky he did because the the Love Conquers All cut is total fucking garbage, but it's fascinating to watch. I do have it. <laughs> I just I can't think of anything that I would cut from this movie. No, that is the thing. It needs to be really long. It is a very sprawling dystopia, and it's also a movie that you kinda do need to watch a few times. Like you you get more on a rewatch because you get all of the plot on the first watch, but then the emotional impact starts to seep in when you're, when you know how the system works and you come back and you see these things happening. It's like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so of course, amazing theme song. First thing we start with uh, up in the clouds, we've got the great Jeff Muldar version of Brazil. Brazil. Our hearts were entertaining June. Great song. Uh, very catchy. Always sticks in my head. Just that, <laughs> that great little opening guitar part. The... Uh, it's... It's it's so cheerful. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be... And we're in the clouds. We're flying. Oh, this is going to be a happy movie. Uh, it's it's weird how incredibly cheerful the song is, and it's Brazil. I mean, it there's there's nothing to do with Brazil in this movie. It's just I don't know. <laughs> yeah, somehow I thought the movie might be about Brazil. Nope, nope, it's <laughs> not just at all. The theme song, uh, and it's an existing song. Like this wasn't written for the movie. <laughs> this is like uh, a standard from what, like the the 30s or something. I've I've definitely heard it. Hmm. Outside of the context of this film. Yeah. Uh, I, I've heard all sorts of previous versions of it. There's a great uh, instrumental guitar version by Grant Green. Uh, the original song is written in 1939. Uh, full title, Aquarela do Brasil, or Watercolor of Brazil. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Anyway. Uh so we get the clouds, which obviously is the space of uh, Sam Sam Lowry, Sam Lowry's dreams. There, that's the only time we see sky, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. There is no sky in this. Uh, it's too polluted. World. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a, a total smog world. Uh, so th- we we only have the sky in the song, and that's clearly dream space and then we get uh a tv playing a central services ad central services we do the work <laughs> you do the pleasure <laughs> uh designer ducts hi there i want to talk to you about 
ducts. <laughs> Are your ducts old fashioned, out of date? <laughs> I love just all this stuff about ducts, and there's commercials for designer ducts to give as Christmas gifts and. I mean, obviously, once you see how the infrastructure works, ducts are pretty important. <laughs> oh, the the most important thing. I uh, Once I realized there was like, nobody draws any attention to it, but all the ducks are coming out of this tank that just says fresh air that you see at one point. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, fresh air. That's, that's where that's you get. That's what this is all for. Yeah, that's, that's how you get your air. Uh, that's why his apartment is a disaster when the ducts go wrong later. Oh, it's not just that he's overheating. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, so... <laughs> now, oh man, I just realized something about this movie. Then, uh... yeah, the, like that's the thing. You you pull any thread, and it it does come up on something monstrous. It's one of those movies that you think about, and it just gets more and more terrifying. Even the though, whole like, movie, yeah, is him CO two poisoning? Yeah, <laughs> or and... what is it? Carbon, but. Carbon monoxide. Yeah, he's he is a little bit demented. By the end, he has had a psychotic break. And like there are all these points where he loses reality, like his reality and his dreams just stop having any line between them. And it's already thin. <laughs> oh, oh man. OK, well, I just got way ahead of us here. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You, Holy you, you shit. Get, right. So we have this guy doing the ducts commercial and it's on this wall of tvs in you know store window and the thing explodes and we get the title in neon tubing coming out of the explosion just alarm sounds and stuff <laughs> ah the terrorist bombing campaign the terrorists uh and yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is there's there's a reason for terrorism here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do kind of wonder, like, I don't know enough about history, but I wonder if it kind of, if this is drawing parallels to like the, uh, what is it like? The IRA. Ireland, all the, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what I'm thinking of. Uh, there could be an element of that. I mean, certainly Terry Gilliam was living in Britain at the time. Uh, and, you know, he's an American living in Britain, observing it as sort of an outsider. So there's probably an element of that. There's definitely a heavy amount of anger towards thatcher here mm -hmm. and just you know industrialized britain yeah yeah because the, the the industrialized area <laughs> like super industrialized areas of britain are super nasty they're, they're like this but you know smaller <laughs> I've, yeah you don't really i've or i haven't really seen them anywhere like what they look like they don't really show it to people i guess yeah i mean i've seen pictures like i've i've i i I took history in university, so I've seen a lot of this stuff, but yeah, it, it got really grimy for a while. So it's playing that out. Uh, this feels like a future that's extrapolated, not even from the 80s, but like from the 40s, like all the tubes. Mm -hmm. It's something I was thinking as I was watching this is like, it's meant to take place in the future, but the technology is worse than what they had at the time they were making the film. Right. It, it feels okay. like it, it doesn't feel like there ever was a World War II. Oh, you know what? Yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, so we've got the Ministry of Information Deputy Eugene Helpman, who's a pretty major guy. He, he shows up throughout the whole movie. He's got kind of a 
trickster vibe to him. He he keeps showing up as Santa. He reminds me of um kind of a hud sucker. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's definitely got, and I, I think there's a lot of parallels with this in Hudsucker. They're obviously Hudsucker's actually set in the 30s, but this feels like the future of Hudsucker. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so he's being interviewed on TV, and obviously everything on TV is propaganda. Uh, <laughs> they're talking about the terrorist bombings. <laughs> I love how they mentioned that the Ministry of Information uses 7% of the country's GDP. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> That's fucking ridiculous. The Ministry of Information is extremely powerful, of course, because Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can it can just black bag anyone. So he's a oh all this terrorist bombing, it's just a result of bad sportsmanship. <laughs> uh you know they they don't like being behind uh, they they're just uh trying to uh, i don't know uh, and, and of course the the irony of this is he's saying this on a burning sideways tv because <laughs> it's from the explosion i love the the ending to this scene the reporter's like well the campaign's been going on for 13 years <laughs> beginner's luck <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it's it's funny though like they've got basically like like the patriot act specifically yes. to catch these terrorist act terrorists which they have not done no uh and, and well i would think it's, it's like also because rhymes. yeah and it's a matter of the the tactics that they're using are obviously creating more terrorists because it is this totalitarian <laughs> dystopia that people would revolt against. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have actual heroism rather than people who just dream of having it like our main <laughs> character. Uh, <laughs> I do like that they don't specify what year this takes place in. It's just somewhere in the 20th century. Yeah, it's, it's just or it's somewhere in the future uh so we get this office drone in some office somewhere he, he's watching this tiny little television he's got like a magnifying glass to watch the tiny tv <laughs> i love the magnifying glasses on the tiny tvs right because they have just the tiniest television these little tiny tube sets so everyone has to use magnifying glasses and he's bothered by a fly this is the inciting incident of the entire film. Oh, yes. <laughs> a literal a bug in the system. Like, oh. literally, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bug. Uh, one of the posters, of course, there. this has Simpsons-esque poster gags throughout the entire movie. They're everywhere. <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones in his office. He has, loose talk is noose talk. <laughs> <laughs> don't suspect your friends report them report them that one's there later yeah <laughs> so he swats the fly up on the ceiling and it falls into the machine literal bug in a machine <laughs> and it causes the t to be typed as a b instead yeah so instead of archibald tuttle we've got archibald bottle looks like bad news for the 
Buttle family. <laughs> it's the most bad news for the it Buttle family. It's real bad news. It's brutal. I feel very bad for the Buttle family. Oh, just the the force in which they come in. Oh, completely. Like, and oh. on the on a first viewing, it's kind of comical, but it's one of those scenes that's more horrifying every time you watch it because you see the effect it has on the family and the way they are destroyed by it. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me actually of a very similar scene from I want to say War of the Worlds. War of the uh, Worlds, maybe. Or no, when like, like I, I might next be century ahead of us. Yeah, ne- War of the Worlds next century, right? Yeah, the, the black maybe. bagging of his wife, because <laughs> his yeah. wife gets black bagged in that. Yeah. yeah, I do think a whole lot of this does seem to borrow from Shulkin. Uh, the, mm. the, there's a lot of the, the Shulkin Apocalypse tetralogy in this. And, I mean, it was running concurrently, I guess. Uh, I don't. I think the last one may have come out after this. But, you know, Golem is 1980, and the first they few, were... I think, are prior to this. They, they were really close anyway yeah and they definitely have a similar uh sensibility to gilliam so i i feel like they do seem like something that he would have seen uh or possibly tom stoppard as well great playwright uh he's the co-writer on this he did okay. like uh, uh tom stoppard wrote uh roads and crans and gilded sterner dead oh okay okay have you ever seen i haven't Rosen? no oh, i never have so much fun we should totally watch that sometime yeah all right <laughs> so yeah the, it it is uh on his tv that we get the terror campaign 13th year the beginner's luck thing <laughs> right okay so there is a family the buttle family in their home they're it's it's kind of a nice idyllic christmas this is the the sweetest homiest most recognizable christmas moment we have in this whole movie it's easy to forget that it's a christmas movie because nothing is decorated and the the only the, real reminder we have is that they <laughs> there is they, christmas they just... decorations though there's christmas trees all over the place it's just it's so drab and so dour like you have people dressed as santa all over the place it's just it's a commercial dystopia it feels like it, it's the christmas stuff that gets you out of the christmas spirit <laughs> right that, that's, that's yeah it's over commercialized so it just never registered for me because it just didn't feel real whereas here yeah. it does it's everywhere people are giving christmas gifts all over the place he keeps getting <laughs> the same gift it's yeah the the minister has like just a desk that's full of the same gift and i also like well it, it's a little bit later but there's that part where he gets the gift and it goes through the metal detector and it has to be blown up by a police and then he gets to the table and someone else gives him another gift and it's also already been blown up <laughs> Very funny. Uh, subtle stuff in the background mm-hmm. uh stuff that is not highlighted like no one refers to it you just see the other gift and like it is similarly exploded like <laughs> that's good <laughs> so they're reading a christmas carol they're right at the end and they're talking about tiny tim you know it's a bunch of you know it's, it's a kind of basic nuclear family you got a mother and father son and daughter they're all cozy next to the christmas tree you can and, imagine a white picket fence, but no, there won't be one. But no, because they're they're on they're a middle floor in a dystopian block, like a literal yeah. just block. 
uh, and out of nowhere, they get swatted. <laughs> yeah, there's like <laughs> they they do the thing where they cut a circle into the ceiling and uh, slide down a pole. Yeah, I, and it just suddenly alarms going off. People with guns all swarming in, uh, and it, it's funny because just before that, they you know they finished reading a Christmas Carol, and. I think it's the daughter says, well, Christmas can come if we haven't a chimney. And mom's like, you'll see. And then, of course, <laughs> fucking SWAT troops come in through the roof. Oh, man, I forgot about that part. That's so <laughs> It's like Santa Claus. <laughs> it's and just like Santa Claus. You've yeah. been invited to participate in the interrogation. Yeah, just you've been cordially invited. Uh, Mr. Buttle has been invited to assist the ministry with certain inquiries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, right. The he's already black bagged to... by this mm. point. The whole thing, you have to pay for your own interrogations. Yeah, you will be billed and you also have to sign twice. To, <laughs> it's like, they, they, they have uh, her signing it on his back with these just big sheafs of paper it's like here's a receipt for your husband and this is my receipt for your receipt <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's like what's going on sign here please okay okay what's going on <laughs> what's going on and their upstairs neighbor kim greased uh who uh, the the character is uh dream girl jill Jill Layton, I Jill think. Layton, yeah. We won't get her name for like a really long time. When she's... we do, it might not even be her real name. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, we'll see. She she checks in, she looks in the hole, and they shoot at her immediately with a bunch of automatic weapons. Uh you know, they they have no yeah. oversight. They could just kill anyone anyways. Yeah, you know, like they, like they will. Yeah, like... <laughs> like her. Good thing uh, cops aren't like that today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Uh, and, and of course, there's the Department of Works up there. And like, oh, Department of Works up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, their little uh, uh, plug for the hole. Yeah, they have a roof plug, but they brought the wrong size. But they're like, I. <laughs> She's like, there has to be some kind of mistake. They're, the bottles are, are just a regular family. And they're like, no, no, it's definitely terrorists. We don't make mistakes. And then they drop the plug through. It's like, son of a bitch. They changed <laughs> the metric system again. Yeah, they changed from metric to imperial again without telling us. Oh, God. <laughs> Very dystopian. And it's funny, but it's also just like real and it just just real enough that it hurts like it 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 kind of grabs you yeah so we yeah, watch and of course they're just gonna have to live with that hole in their ceiling slash floor now for the rest of forever yeah i think they do have a different plug in it when he comes to her apartment later I don't know if they do, because isn't that how he sees her? It is well? how he sees her the first time. I think there's a third time that he's there and there's something oh. in it. I don't, maybe I'm mistaken. Okay. Maybe I'm misremembering, uh, but I know it's not fixed for some time. Yeah. But like when someone is in trouble, they start f maliciously fixing as we've, as we see later. <laughs> so we watch the receipt travel down the line. 
the the receipt for Buttle. <laughs> oh yeah, through like paperwork hell. Just everywhere, it's it's a uh, this incredible bureaucracy. You know, we, we watch it go on this male guy's cart goes through all these tubes, ultimately ending up at Mister Kurtzman's office, uh, played of course by Ian Holm. I guess best known these days as Bilbo. Oh really? Yeah, Bilbo okay. from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose I that's what he's best known for, right? I, I did. I I didn't know that was him. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I mean, like, he is such a legend. He's been in so much stuff over the years. I'm trying to think of what else you might know him from. I mean, he's Ash and Alien. Oh, oh, well, yeah, of course. Okay. I thought I always thought Martin Freeman was Bilbo. Am I oh, thinking something else? I believe Martin F- Freeman is Bilbo in the Hobbit trilogy. Oh, which okay, I've never seen. I am thinking. No, yeah. my, neither have I. Yeah. Okay, uh, but yeah, no, I remember it. I, yeah, I remember Ash from Alien. Yeah, of course. Have you yeah. ever seen Time Bandits, the earlier Terry Gilliam '80s movie? I'm not sure if I have. It sounds like something I might have seen. That's one that I saw as a kid and just totally gave me nightmares and haunted me forever. It was a kids' movie, but it's very messed up. Uh, but <laughs> he plays Napoleon in that. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, I've seen him in in so much stuff. He's in uh, uh, Naked Lunch and Existence. You know, some of the. I, I've seen him all over the place. Now that I'm thinking about it, he is everywhere. Yeah, he's just one of those dudes. He kind of rules. Uh, he did play the old Bilbo Baggins in the Hobbit trilogy too. Apparently, that's interesting. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, uh, Bilbo uh, definitely the first thing I think of now. Other than this, but he's mm. Mr. Kurtzman. He's sort of the immediate superior to Mr. Lowry. He is so hilariously inept at his job. Yeah, it feels like he is someone who has failed upwards. Now he's reached his point. It's that Peter principle thing. He's uh, he's failed upwards to the point that he can no longer fail upwards, and he's got his niche. He's just there yeah. now. Uh, and everyone in the office switches to like old cowboy movies when he closes his office door and it looks like they're not even watching the movies on the computer it looks it looks like they're watching through the magnifying glass on the computer through a security camera watching the movie on somebody's tv is yeah what it looks i like there it's clearly an illicit broadcast that sort of uh they're they're tapping into because you aren't allowed to have fun. There, there's no, no allowable God, fun in this world. You've only got propaganda. Uh, no art can be produced in a totalitarian state, except Unless art about it's the propaganda. state. Yeah, yep. <laughs> propaganda art's okay. <laughs> so, uh, Kurtzman gets the receipt. He starts entering the bottle data. He does some data entry, but there's an error. Uh-oh. So. Mr. Lowry, Mr. Sam Lowry, who is not at work because uh, his uh, his alarm has shorted out. The electricity's up the spout, as he says. <laughs> He's dreaming of being a silver hawk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's what I saw from all the promotional material. So I really thought this was about a guy who just became like one of those flying men just for going from the posters yeah i i have to wonder if the silver hawks were actually based on this because they that series came out in 1986 this oh. movie's from 1985 
and okay. they are kind of that design. Do you remember Silverhawks? Uh, Stupid animated TV series from the mid eighties. It. I don't specifically remember that show, but I definitely have seen this design. I was kind of thinking like David Bowie as a bird. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely kind of got a little bit more of a new wavy thing than the Silverhawks themselves did, uh, where I think I, I recall that one of the guys was just literally called Bluegrass and he played fucking country music in space. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of stupid 80s cartoons uh really but yeah were. this really looks silver hoxy to me uh but it came out later of course so notably in his dream he kisses kim greased who we have already seen before yep but but this character he hasn't ever seen her right she's she's his literal dream girl somehow mm-hmm. somehow so, yeah, he wakes up and his alarm has shorted out. We've got his crazy automated apartment, which is totally malfunctioning. None of the shit works. And <laughs> like it, it burns his toast and then it like pivots over and it pours the coffee on the toast instead of in the coffee cup. It just gives him a <laughs> cup of sugar. <laughs> uh, I love their phones have like mini switchboards on the face and side <laughs> of them. Right. You have to figure out the which cord to plug. Yeah, you have to switch all of the those around. Like again, it, it feels like the technology just never progressed past like 1930. <laughs> <laughs> it just they they moved instead of having switchboard operators, they made everyone their personal switchboard operator because it just was easier that way. You know, make everybody everybody do their own personal portion of that work, and then you can eliminate the position of the switchboard operator. Yeah, yeah, the they probably are also going to do a thing where when you go to the grocery store, you just check out your own things at there's a till. Yeah, yeah, it is a, a self-checkout <laughs> style telephone system. He predicted like so much of what our future <laughs> is. Yeah, that's it. That is the thing is that even though it is a satire and its dystopianism is exaggerated, like it is absurdist it is python-esque like the the monty python because they're all in this almost most of them are uh Uh, i think i've seen a few in there yeah you can spot a bunch of them in there maybe it's only i thought i i was thinking there was a couple but maybe it is only palin trying to think Mm. maybe there isn't any of the other dudes but uh anyway uh i i love the physical bit when he he has the soaked toast and he's like trying to take a bite of it it's <laughs> and it's just flopping over <laughs> very good physical bed <sighs> so he comes to his extremely ominous office building <laughs> <laughs> very brutalist architecture in this uh very gothic too it kind of looks mm-hmm. like uh batman's gotham but all filing cabinets yeah yeah <laughs> There's a bunch of nuns checking out automatic weapons. <laughs> oh, yeah. We don't really find out what that's about. <laughs> I guess that's just a thing you do. Uh, this is It's showing that the church still is uh, totally adjacent to government, and they're still doing basically the same thing they've always done, except, uh, you know, society is completely uh, grown out of control around it. Uh, there's a big sign saying information is the key to prosperity because this Hmm. is one of their, this is one of the information offices, of course. Right, right. There's also a really huge statue 
that's sort of abstract. There's like an angel and a woman, which sort of uh, reflects his dream. And I wonder if his dream is specifically reflecting this gigantic statue that's in the middle of the building he works in. Probably. It is the most <laughs> abstract thing that he ever gets to see in a day. And his heroism is similarly abstract. Uh, so I, yeah. I kind of feel like he's just dreaming about this big uh, statue in the lobby that's sort of a version of the Pieta. Uh, and it has the placard, Truth Shall Make You Free. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> uh, I mean, it could say work will make you free. That, that would really be giving the game away. Yeah, but they're <laughs> that's, working for the truth. Oh, uh, yeah, because I just that—that's—that's that's the sign on Auschwitz. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, on the way in, he runs into his old school chum Jack, uh, which is Michael Palin and from he, Python. Yeah, and he is uh, much higher ranked in the system than than Lowry is. He's up at security level five. He's a little worried about Sam uh, and Sam's career. Sam's just stuck in what what department is he in? I can't uh, remember information. Uh, I think he's just information services. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like something like bottom rung but yeah because there's several different layers of information uh jack works for information retrieval mm -hmm. uh, there where... is apparently an information dispersal that we never see yeah i don't i think information dispersal is maybe a mirage it seems like the sort of thing <laughs> that information dispersal is maybe the people who make the posters probably or or the tv programs <laughs> uh and Sam's talking about like, look, I don't want to be noticed. He he just wants to go under the radar and do nothing. That that is all he wants to do. Yeah, yeah, I I, I can kind of feel that. <laughs> I get it totally, but it is him distinctly being non-heroic. He mm. has these dreams of it, but he has no intention of being heroic in any way. No, he's just kind of maybe. I mean, I don't know if he's even consciously hoping for it, but I think he's just kind of hoping that an opportunity for heroism will just fall into his lap. Yeah, which is not uncommon. That's that's the good yeah. guy with the gun fantasy. But uh, I don't yeah. know if he even fantasizes about that so much. He just wants to not be noticed. He wants to be unknown. He really doesn't want to uh, stick up at all. Because it's not a good place to stick up in. Yeah, yeah, and... Well, when you think about what his uh, family life was, I would, I wouldn't yeah. want to be noticed very much either. Yeah, his mom is uh, strange. Uh, I, I like this bit. Say hello to the twins, the triplets. Like, gosh, how time flies. <laughs> <laughs> that that made me laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Jill is there also. She's she's in the lobby reporting Buttle's wrongful arrest. But he's like, oh, well, you need to go to information adjustments. And like, I just came from information adjustments. They said I needed to come here. It's like, well, you didn't get this thing signed. Like, who signs that? 
information adjustments. <laughs> and, oh, that's infuriating. It's like, I was, why didn't they sign it when I was there? Stupid fucking bureaucracy. Totally pointless. <sighs> and this is like signing up for a passport, too. I mean, you, you, you do get shit like this signing up for a passport, so... I get it. <laughs> uh, it it is in uh, what one of uh, Kurtzman's signs in the, in the sign above his door says: "Suspicion breeds confidence." <laughs> oh God, that one's not good. No. Uh, so he brings Sam into the office, and Sam he's like a super hacker. That's his thing. He's really good at hacking the system. It's his one like capability but he figures that the the error had to have been made by information retrieval mm -hmm. uh and the the person who was supposed to be uh, assigned to a security pickup was a heating engineer named archibald tuttle tuttle yeah we're yeah we haven't met him yet but he's uh he's interesting he's a very important figure biggest mm -hmm. actor in the movie of course this is de niro's character I didn't recognize him. Yeah, it's crazy. He looks kind of like Mario. And then, of course, we've got Bob Hoskins, who <laughs> later plays Mario. I didn't realize Mario. it was actually Bob Hoskins. I was like, this guy reminds me of Mario. Yeah, and it's legit Bob Hoskins. I guess it's because you're used to Bob Hoskins doing an American voice in his yeah. best-known stuff, like Roger Rabbit and uh, Mario Brothers. Whereas here, he's doing his hard Cockney accent. But it's still him. Yeah. So Kurtzman starts talking to Sam about promotions. Like, I don't know what I'd do without you, Sam. Uh, <laughs> if, if they promoted you, I, I, I'd be lost. He's like, oh, I definitely turned down a promotion. I don't want to do anything more here. He turns and like, you you absolutely would turn it down. It's like, yeah. It's like, well, because <laughs> you have received a promotion. He's like, oh, it must be my mother's idea. I better go see her. So his mother, uh, what a character. <laughs> <laughs> She's currently getting her face stretched out. Uh, Catherine Helmond as uh, Mrs. Ida Lowry. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's getting her face stretched by Dr. Joff, Dr. Jaffe, uh, played by Jim Broadbent, who's also in fucking everything. <laughs> I love the whole like subplot of the dueling house or... Um... I guess dueling widows and like they're dueling plastic surgeons. Yeah, the two different plastic surgeons. Uh, the other guy's a dwarf who does acid stuff. The acid man. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna see how that works out. Yeah, I wouldn't go to the acid man. <laughs> <laughs> Not for plastic surgery, anyway. So he goes to lunch with his mom. She has her shoe hat always. Different shoe hats every time we see her. This one's leopard print. <laughs> And she gives him a gift. It's very exclusive. <laughs> uh, but that's this is the thing where it sets off the metal detector and they have to blow it up and everybody yeah, freaks out. <laughs> they all crowd in with machine guns. She's like, please, really? <laughs> <laughs> and they meet with the Terrains, Mrs. Alma Terrain and her daughter, Shirley, who it seems like they've been trying <laughs> to set up the two of them since they were kids. But 
nobody seems interested in that or well, <laughs> neither of them neither of them seem to be like it does sort of seem like shirley is putting forth some kind of effort to do that it's just i i don't get her deal no <laughs> <laughs> she's got headgear like she's oh, she, yeah. <laughs> she has adult like, headgear yeah like like for for braces, for braces kind of thing yeah. but yeah yeah salt uh so alma is undergoing her acid treatments but there's a little complication (laughs) (laughs) right the complications complications continue to set in throughout the film (laughs) so at lunch there's a terrorist attack which is pretty routine We, we can see how routine it is because there's a whole process in place to put up <laughs> they, yeah, they put up these little dividers while everybody at the dining tables just tries their best to ignore it. Everybody, like <laughs> obviously, Sam is not doing anything heroic. He's not troubled by it. He's just he, he is like there are people on fire, screaming, lying in rubble five feet away from him, and he's just looking at the menu and he is unbothered. Yeah, no, he is much more concerned about his own bullshit. Yeah. I love the food and how it comes out of the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I also love the snooty waiter who requires <laughs> him to give him uh, the number on the menu and not uh, just a steak. You have to say tall, grande, or venti, or I won't <laughs> know what size of Starbucks to give you. Yeah. Uh, so Sam ultimately leaves in a huff, obviously. Uh She's like, what about your dreams? I'm like, I don't have any dreams. And it cuts, of course, to his dream. Yeah. His his common angel dream, which seems to be inspired by the lobby of the building he works in. But his dream just slowly gets more and more dystopian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like he's flying over basically the Shire at this point. Right, and tower blocks just start pounding out of the the green and just like burst up into the sky. And it's weird they're like gigantic file cabinets. Exactly, like cabinets, all these uh, filing drawers in them. They're they're half building, half office. Uh, So again, it is his office. (laughs) He's having work nightmares. (laughs) oh god yeah which are the worst i used to have work nightmares when i worked at mcdonald's i still have work nightmares about working at mcdonald's (laughs) man yeah (laughs) yeah being back there (laughs) oh man i still get school nightmares every now and then i don't really it's Uh, been a long time but yeah yeah. i haven't in a while but yeah I mean, I, I kind of, I, I didn't mind school so much. <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> I like learning. Um, so he, he wakes up and his apartment is overheating. And <laughs> who knows what else? The ducts are all out of whack. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so again, it, it's like you said, there could be a carbon monoxide leak and this is where his dreams go fucked up. This, yeah. This is him gradually going insane over the course of the film yeah this actually happens we're still pretty early in the film yeah like this happens i didn't realize just how quickly the reality starts to twist in this Mm -hmm. so he calls up central services 
staff shortages prevent call staffing between 11 p.m. and 9 a.m. Have a nice day. This has not been a recording. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that. That's just like the biggest extra fuck you. This is so funny. That is, I, I, this has not been a recording after. Yeah, we we can't afford call staffing between these hours. But this hasn't been a recording. Like we we can afford to have someone to read this script out rather than have a machine to it. But um, mm-hmm. we can't have them know anything or do anything. No, no. <laughs> so he sleeps in the refrigerator. <laughs> And he gets woken up by a call from Tuttle, who's in his apartment already. Oh my god, Tuttle with his gun. He's like so, so, um, so happy to point his gun, or um, what is it? He's got like a he's, pistol. Yeah, I don't want to say he's like trigger happy, but he's really pointing the gun at people happy. Yeah, he he's having fun being like a commando in the apartment uh showing up at different spots and you know he's he's phoned him so he's like hello hello and then he starts to hear his voice in the apartment nearby and he's like whoa oh my god he's like nope I- i'm just here to fix your air conditioning uh it's just that that's technically not legal to do <laughs> <laughs> and he's like well why don't you just work for central services he's like yeah too much paperwork I couldn't even fucking do a thing if I don't fill out a 27B stroke six. <laughs> right, the 27B stroke six. And it is at the point him talking about the 27B stroke six that uh, the the two actual workers show up, Bob Hoskins and um, I don't know the other dude. Let me see if I can spot uh, Derek O'Connor who he's an irish actor uh they they play dowser and spoor (laughs) might as well be mario and luigi they're very mario and luigi-esque uh and uh, like spore every time or uh, spore is hoskins and dowser's the other dude uh and dowser just constantly repeats everything that spore says (laughs) uh just more Irish. Well, you can't do that. Sometimes he'll just trail off into incomprehensibility. You trailed off into incomprehensibility there. Oh, yeah. Damn. (laughs) Um, He tries to send them off. Uh, He's like, oh, no, it's fine. It fixed itself. Fixed itself, did it, sir? Oh, it doesn't fix itself, then. Well, uh, do, do you happen to have a 27B stroke six? 27B stroke six! And the other guy, like, starts having a fit, and he's like, <laughs> he, he, like, it's like he's being electrocuted up against the wall. And I, I love, to him. I love the delivery that Hoskins have here. He's like, not as such. <laughs> <laughs> So they have to leave. And it's like, we'll be back. And they will be back. They will. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they've been challenged now. They have to get their 27B stroke six. It's personal. They, yeah, this is now personal. You can have a vendetta in a dystopia. <laughs> Absolutely. What small power you yield, you wield, is, is how you, <laughs> you know. So Tuttle leaves heroically. 
He has his, we're all in it together, kid, which is also another propaganda slogan that mm. we see all over the place. <laughs> uh, he like zip lines off uh, the apartment. It's cool. Yeah. We, we see like just how high up and how much like valleys the apartment blocks are. Yeah, it is like his dreams. They the the apartments are much like the filing cabinets of his dystopian sky. So next day, Kurtzman receives a refund check for Buttle. This has never happened before. <laughs> oh, and it's a huge fucking problem. Yeah, like, like he has no idea what to do with it because it's a refund check for Buttle, but Buttle is dead. <laughs> they, they haven't quite determined that, but they're like. He's like, well, we can't send it to Buttle. It doesn't seem to work. And he's like, oh, I, I see. It's, it, it seems that he's been dormanted, uh, deleted, inoperative, Completed. excised. It's <laughs> yeah. like, uh, and uh, what do Sam, you mean? Sam punches in a few things. He's like, oh yeah, he's dead because <laughs> they tortured him to death. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so he's like. Oh, well, that's easy enough. I'll look up his next of kin, Veronica Buttle. I'm like, oh, we'll just send it to her. Oh, shit. She doesn't have a bank account. I guess I'm going to have to go over there. Yeah, Sam's being really uh, punchy today. He's like, oh, you know what? I can solve this. I'll just go deliver it myself. And <laughs> Kurtzman's like, yeah, well, you just need to sign just to sign the check. And he's like, my these shaking hands you know he won't put a signature <laughs> on it because he doesn't want to be on the paperwork mm. so that it comes back to him and he has sam do it it's like oh i'll do it for you see i didn't even realize that i just interpreted that as him being just so useless he can't even sign a check yeah i mean it is a uselessness but it is also self-preservation he doesn't want to touch this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, like as as soon as the bottle thing comes across his desk, it's a problem and it is an anomaly in the system. And he gives it to Sam because he doesn't want to deal with it. Like there's this whole, oh, Sam, I don't know what I'd do without you. But all the while yeah. he is using Sam to take the fall. Yeah. Yeah. So he drives his tiny car there. I love his tiny car. <laughs> it's like a go-kart with a roof. It's like a dome. It's it's a single person carrier, a personal carrier, which is one of my favorite running gags in the movie. The personal carrier, personnel carrier thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> just keeps building just up. Snowballs over time. It's completely absurd. So he drives to the Shangri La Apartments. Good ironic name. <laughs> uh, the the kids are outside. Including Buttle's kids, Buttle's son among them, they're playing security black bag team, uh, which this feels a lot like Golem. You know, the opening of Golem, yep. where you have the kids doing the alien. And... Oh, yeah. Walking them like the dog. Yeah. It's kind of messed up. Uh, mm. You're supposed yeah, to it... interrogate me. <laughs> it's just it's chilling because it is Buttle's kids. Like, our Buttle's son is one of the kids playing this game. Yeah. Uh, that this is just kind of what, what life is like here. Anyway, they burn his car as soon as he goes inside. 
<laughs> we see them get some matches and head for his car. <laughs> so Mrs. Buttle obviously has been completely destroyed by the experience. There's she's, nothing left. Yeah, so yeah, she's doing the thing. She's got the thousand yard stare in the in the rocking chair. She's not there. Right. And she keeps asking like he's just trying to get her to sign the check and she keeps asking, Well, what have you done with his body? What have you done with his body? <laughs> and he's just like, ma'am, I, I I didn't even have to come all this way here, you know. Right. Uh, he's... I'm doing this for you. It's it's so rude. He's trying to be like he he's pretending he he should be put out by this woman whose life has been shattered by her husband being wrongfully arrested and killed <laughs> at Christmas. Yeah. yeah, but no, you should be happy. I'm trying to give you thirty four bucks. I have a receipt for you. You need to sign it. And the son comes in and like tackles him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and. He sees the upstairs neighbor because he's fallen on the floor and he looks up and he recognizes her as his dream girl. I wonder if he's seen her before somewhere because we can kind of pinpoint the the statue as a pretty significant inspiration for the rest of it. I wonder if I, I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like he dreamed of a girl and then he sees her and then his mind retroactively like remembers her face being in the dream. But we saw her face in the dream before we saw him see her in the movie. True. But but anyway, uh, he he spots her in the ceiling hall and says, it's you, which that frightens <laughs> her off because she does criminal stuff. Yep. <laughs> and he's uh, well, he's a government guy. Yeah, he is a government official. He is a bad guy. He's one of the bureaucrats. So she runs off and he tries to give chase, but he, he goes down and, of course, his car is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I actually had thought that she did the fire. Oh, no, it's totally the kids, because before he goes up, you see them shake a pack of matches and walk towards the car. Oh, OK, OK. I love him trying to put out the car with a mattress. It's just like a mattress in the alley. And he's like, <laughs> just <laughs> hitting it. Yeah. It's so funny. This does not work. Now he's got a mattress on fire. Yeah. It's a, it is just like burnt out. There's, there's not much left of his vehicle. And he does <laughs> not, manage to not get that there from... was much to the vehicle to begin with. <laughs> no, there wasn't much. It was easy to burn that thing up. Uh, but Buttle's daughter is out there. And she she says, oh, that's our upstairs neighbor. Her name is Jill Layton. Yeah, he's so like, oh, now, what are you doing out here? Uh, he's like, oh, I'm just waiting for my daddy. Oh. And he's like, oh, that's so sweet. And he starts to walk away and he doesn't fully realize, but he looks back and he's like, that might actually be the girl whose daddy is definitely not coming home because I was here to deliver a receipt for his body. <laughs> But it doesn't fully hit him, and he's like, yeah, well, there's nothing I can do about that. That's none of my business. It, it never <laughs> seems to register with him just what happened here as a result of this typo. No. He, he I, never I, really grasps it, I don't think. It it sort of feels like there's, this is the one moment because she says that, and he says, oh, that's nice, and then he's walking away, and then he pauses for a second, and he looks back, and it's kind of hitting him, but I also think he's just filing that away. and Like, well, I can't deal with that. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's compare. Let's put that in one of those uh, drawers in the the giant fucking <laughs> filing cabinets inside well, me. A much bigger priority to deal with right now. Yeah. So he can't get information on Jill. Uh, the, the information is restricted, but if he had information retrieval, he would have clearance. So maybe he does want that promotion after all. <laughs> I'm going to totally, I've changed my mind. I'm going to totally accept this promotion because I want to cyber stalk this girl. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. And of course, Kurtzman has already signed a rejection. He forged his signure on a rejection. <laughs> oh, sign I that. thought this is what you wanted. Yeah. So we cut to another dream sequence, another of his weird dream sequences. This one's much more elaborate. And this is the one where there's a cage with his uh with his love in it. There there's a floating cage on chains. And it's got these monsters which have baby masks on. They're creepy yeah they're very creepy uh so the the cage the monsters they have the baby faces which we will learn later are what uh, the information retrieval officers use during interrogation i i wonder if he already knew that they were wearing the baby faces i mean i kind of have to imagine that he did because it feels like I mean, it, it is all comprehensive. All of these things do fit together because, like, when they take the masks off, the the monsters are the everyday people who have been harmed by the bureaucracy. Because mm. it's it's the Buttle family that he sees under the masks. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know, it says something about his own psyche. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, because why are the Buttles keeping his girlfriend prisoner? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of throwing things together in his mind, but it, he is, he's the bureaucracy. Like, he is <laughs> actually aligned with the bureaucracy, and he is not, in fact, doing anything heroic. So these people are a problem to him because they make him recognize himself. They're uh, oh. showing that he is not a hero. He's uh, the 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 things he's doing are entirely for his own self worth. Like they they have nothing to do with uh, improving life for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which uh, you know he's not when he wakes up from the stream. He's not going to examine that. He's just going to continue cyber stalking her. Of course, this is the part where he's daydreaming on the train and he almost misses his stop so he gets stuck in the doors <laughs> i really like this glass cube tram it's like um you know in the 80s it, it, this is an 80s movie very common in 80s movies hyper modern architecture you just get like walls of glass cubes yeah it feels like one of those but it's a tram that runs that. on a tube it's rad super cool so he gets back to his apartment and it is a disaster area <laughs> or we went and fixed your air conditioning, didn't it? Is Spore and Dowser are there again? They're <laughs> performing some emergency procedures. <laughs> uh, they they got their B twenty stroke. Or fuck the paper. They got the paper. Twenty seven B stroke six. Yeah. Uh, they have also found Tuttle's thing that he uh, 
that that he added to the system to fix it. And oh, so the, like, the bypass. Can I add this? Yeah, the bypass. And he's like, this is from that scab Tuttle. <laughs> it's interesting that they refer to him as a scab. Yeah. Because, like, they certainly don't have any sort of workers' union in this dystopian future. It's just someone who does the work without being horrible, I guess. (laughs) Well, see, if if somebody does the work right, then they don't have to do it again and again and again. And then these guys are out of a job. Yeah, I mean, that's like, tell us. Yeah, like... (laughs) (laughs) So... They get in the way of planned obsolescence. Exactly. So this is where he has that additional dream that, like, in the first one, it's just the baby masks and the cage and stuff. But in this subsequent dream, after uh, going to Spore and Dowser again, it it has the gold samurai, which has the cool <laughs> neon peacock thing. And yeah. Awesome. Uh, but this is the one where all of the baby faces they come up and they're the Buttle family mm-hmm. and like the mom and kids. And at the end of it, you know, he takes down the samurai and then it's his own face <laughs> under the mask. It's really interesting that after this, whenever he meets Jill in real life, he's always talking about saving her, but she doesn't need to be saved from anything except no. for him. Yeah, it, it is being in his orbit that is deadly to her. Uh, he is the problem. And his own he, self-conscious he is trying to tell him that. Yeah. So he wakes up in just a mess of ducts. Uh, and the stinging telegram lady shows up. Oh my god! <laughs> I forgot about this! <laughs> <laughs> I love the singing telegram lady. Uh, there, There's a party that his mom's throwing that he's been invited to. <laughs> But it's currently happening. It's like started an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, you know, we were busy. Yeah. There's a lot of backup. He tries to start singing a rejection, <laughs> but it's like, you don't have to sing it. I'm like, oh, 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 okay. And then ultimately he just decides to go to the party. Yeah. So this is the first time we see that mom has severely de-aged. It's one of two steps. Uh, she's considerably de-aged this time. Uh, there's Chapman. I think it's Chapman. The plastic surgeon or the, the, uh, the, the, the rival, the, the rival. Yeah. The, the rival guy, uh, who the acid man, he's like, oh, it's going to fall apart. Uh, it, it'll take in six months. Uh, it'll just be completely fallen in. Uh, but then his patient shows up, Mrs. Terrain. He's like, oh, there's been a little complication. <laughs> <laughs> the complication had a complication. No, it's later the complication oh, had a complication. Oh, even later. Oh, man. I, I forget how yeah. many of these scenes there are. Yeah. <laughs> she's just, yeah, she is deteriorating considerably every time. Like this time, I think she's in a wheelchair and she's got yeah. bandages all over her face. Mm-hmm. She like, does another... Uh, gross bandages because you know there's yeah yeah Yeah, they're they're clearly bloody and pussy it's very gross she's still uh leaking i guess yeah well she's she's had a bunch of acid put in her face (laughs) that's so messed up (laughs) (laughs) it's not working (laughs) so we have another thing where she tries to play matchmaker between him and shirley which obviously doesn't work out this is i think where she's like 
I'm not interested in you either. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just kind of like, yeah, he's like hurt by it, even though he doesn't like her. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, still a dig. But then, you know, he he has other business. He sees Mr. Helpman. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Mr. Helpman is talking to Jack. Uh, and Jack's wife, Allison, is called Barbara by Mr. Helpman. So the rest of the movie, he's going to be referring to her as Barbara. Every time we see Jack, he's like, oh, me and Barbara. And it's like, are you going to keep calling her Barbara? He's like, oh, it kind of has a ring to it, doesn't it? Because <laughs> he's that much of a corporate drone. <laughs> so good. Well, it's why he's way up in information retrieval. He's doing so great. Yeah. He's just, he goes along with the boss just fine. Right. But Sam has a history because Sam's dad was Mr. Helpman's best friend. Like the two of them came up in the business together. So he's like, I need your help, Sam. Uh, and Sam <laughs> helps him out peeing because he, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, he lifts him up to the toilet and does all that. And then like has to lift him back to the wheelchair. Yeah. So he gives him some very important information. He's, he's talking about him and his history with his dad and he gives him an important code he writes it in some powder and it's oh, like yeah. the ghost in the machine here i am jh which is an anagram for his dad's name jeremiah ah i see and that's good yeah that's gonna come up later right and it's it's both an anagram for jeremiah and here I am, J.H. J.H., of course, is Helpman's initials. He's J.H. Oh, okay. So uh, Sam talks to him about the promotion. We we have heard that other point where he had rejected the promotion, and he's like, I talked to Mr. Helpman. He thinks you should see a psychiatrist. He doesn't, <laughs> has never heard of anyone rejecting a promotion before. <laughs> But now he says, okay, I've reconsidered, reconsidered, and he takes the promotion. Yeah. So security is very different at information retrieval. <laughs> I love this bit. He's like, don't you want to see my ID? I could be anybody. He's like, no, you couldn't, sir. <laughs> this is we do things different. retrieval, remember? Yeah. Yeah, we know what's up here. It's, it's kind of spookier because there's no bustle. It's just... And there's no security. There's just the one guy at the front. And he's like, no, yep. if there's a problem, you'd be dealt with. <laughs> you're expected. Right. You're expected. Mr. Warren, his new boss. Oh, uh, man. And the 30th <laughs> or whatever, I think the 30th something floor. Something like that. It's it's yeah. up there. His new half office. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really great gag. The half office. See, I thought at first it was just like a boiler room that they put a desk in. And then I realized that, no, they've chopped the office in half. <laughs> yeah, it's a boiler room that they've put a desk in and then put a line down the middle and put a new wall in. Now it's two offices. <laughs> he had to share the desk though. <laughs> through the wall and they're fighting for desk space. His his neighbor, Harvey Lime. He's the I one feel... with the computer. Yeah, Harvey Lime, he's got the computer on his side, and he is a fool. <laughs> I, I wonder if he's kind of based on Harry Lime, very important Orson Welles character in The Third Man. Maybe. Because he's a guy who sort of works illegally for the system in that movie. Um, 
interesting movie. Anyway, hmm. he goes to his neighbor's office to say, can I borrow your console? He's like, why don't you tell me what you want to know? And I'll look it up. I'm a bit of a whiz. <laughs> the guy can he 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 only knows how to hunt and pack, of course. Yeah, he types so slowly. <laughs> he types like my dad. Uh so the Sam's playing with the gift he got, his executive decision maker. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> it's basically just like an elaborate flipping a coin. Right. It's a thing that you like it's got sort of a, a reel at the end like a fishing rod and you reel it up and then you drop the weight and it goes on either yes or no <laughs> he, he daydreams for a bit we have a bit of his dreaming uh while he's playing with it and in lines office is where we see the don't suspect your friend report him poster yeah <laughs> uh but he comes a uh, line comes back to his office saying uh i've got it and he's pulled up very basic information her address and he's like i already know that that i <laughs> i was at her house and it didn't work out uh, yeah <laughs> and, and he just like pushes past him and immediately is able to get all of the information he needs himself because of course he's actually good at the computer yeah exactly so he goes to an office and he's he he noticed there's a drop of blood outside the door like he he puts his foot down and he like oh yeah it like, fresh blood. Like, oh hmm there's a there's some fresh blood there and the secretary is doing a bunch of transcription and he looks and it's all these <laughs> screaming noises <laughs> i love her just writing down the oh god please don't kill me <laughs> yeah oh god stop ah 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 and you know she lifts the earphone off and you just hear all these torture noises <laughs> and meanwhile she's like oh hello what can i do for you yeah and of course the officer uh, in this office turns out to be his buddy jack <laughs> who's brought his one of his daughters to work <laughs> yeah it's like oh it's a uh, amy or chloe it's like i'm holly <laughs> <laughs> barbara has the other two <laughs> <laughs> oh jack <laughs> so he tells jack that he's looking for jill jack and jill that's funny um <laughs> and he mentions buttle and he admits that he knows about the whole buttle thing and jack is the one who killed buttle right he's got like this whole torture thing in the back of his office just behind a divider yeah he's got a, his torture room back there uh and he's like well it wasn't my fault Buttle's heart condition was not like obviously did not appear in Tuttle's file. So I had Tuttle's file and that's who I was supposed to be working on. It's, you know, it's someone else's problem. Yeah. You uh, know, just different department. Yeah. Jack obviously has no guilt whatsoever about this. It doesn't matter. You know, this, I mean, that's part of the job. Whatever. He got paid. Yeah. So like, what's, what's the issue with Tuttle anyway? Because obviously he knows Tuttle now personally. So it's like, yeah. well, Tuttle's suspected freelance subversion. <laughs> I love that title for a crime. <laughs> freelance subversion. And of course, Jill has now been marked as a terrorist because she's been asking all these questions about this guy Buttle's arrest. She has to be a terrorist. <laughs> of course. Why else would you? Why would you be asking all those questions? Seems suspicious. Mm -hmm. So Sam is like, listen, I'm going to personally deactivate her. 
And Jack's like, I don't really know. Hmm, I don't want to get involved <laughs> in anything untoward. This could be a problem for me. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Just give me her file and I'll deal with all of it. He's like, well, you're also going to need a better suit. Uh, nobody's going <laughs> to... You're not going to get in anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he has to change his to it. And he's just like left the little girl in his office. He's like, put it on, big boy. I won't look at your willy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... I, I think this is actually Terry Gilliam's kid or something. It, it was either <laughs> Terry Gilliam or Michael Palin's actual kid. Clearly has a similar sense of humor to them. <laughs> so he's on the way down and he sees Jill in the lobby, but the elevator breaks. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Just keeps on going past the floor to the basement. Oh, yeah, the basement. <laughs> Basement's a little spooky, but it's important that it goes down there because this is where he finds the deputy minister's lift. Yep, the uh, the gold lift, and there's no numbers for floors, just letters. Right. But he can't really get in there now. There's a guard who sees him. He's like, oh, that's the deputy minister's lift, and a bunch of alarms go off, so he has to run. Yeah. <laughs> and Jill is surrounded by guards in the lobby. Uh, but Sam, you know, now that he has one of Jack's suits and badges, he looks impressive. So they all stop. <laughs> it's the same exact suit. I love it. <laughs> yeah but it's got a badge it has a badge <laughs> and he leaves with her and yeah all the guards freeze in place yeah they they just stop it's like okay this this guy has yeah. authority so we let him deal with his security clearance so he gets out with her but of course she's not keen to trust him for very good reasons yeah yeah and he's in an information retrieval suit he's shown up at her house asking about her He's got a badge, and now he's being real fucking creepy. Yeah, he's being weird. He doesn't understand how to not be weird. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. In my dream, I'm in love with you. Or yeah. something like that, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know how quickly... Yeah, he says he's been dreaming of her, but he has to threaten her to get into the truck in the first place, before he tells her about the dreaming. Because, you know, she she won't drive and he's like drive drive and he's like holding a pretend gun because obviously like he's just got his hand in his pocket yeah she's just like whatever buddy she's like fine fine uh and she decides to just lull him into a false sense of security and then she kicks him out the door of the vehicle but he hangs on to the side of the vehicle. And so there's this whole thing where he's climbing around the outside, holding up a sign that says, trust me. And <laughs> I love you. With like a smile. Yeah. Uh, at first I thought that maybe here might be the part where he started dreaming because and like he just died or like hit his head when he got kicked out of the truck. But too early. I think it's earlier. It's later. Like, are, are, I mean, in terms of when reality stops in this movie, it's a little bit later. So there definitely hasn't been an hour between sentences, but she ultimately is convinced to let him into the vehicle because he's very pathetic, I guess. <laughs> right. He's just so insistent. That, like, oh, my God, they're coming, they're coming. Nobody's coming. 
Well, I, I, for, like already, they are sort of maybe coming. There are people coming down the steps and he's panicky. Him being a panicky idiot kind of drive most of the sequence, but uh, him being him clinging to the outside of the truck for some time with the trust me and I love you signs. And... <laughs> Just, I love that. It's so dumb. It's It's pathetic. So finally she's like, okay, this guy does not seem dangerous. And he is. She doesn't realize it, but he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he. she doesn't know that he's been sty- cyber-stalking her for the last... He changed his career to cyber-stalker. Yeah, he took a, a promotion that he swore he would not take. <laughs> for her. Uh, and he hasn't done his... any work for his new job, either. Well, I mean, that's probably the most revolutionary thing he's done. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Good point. Because information retrieval is really evil. So she lets him in, and she goes to this hellish fire factory. I don't know what the hell the place is supposed to be. It is a, it, it's, <laughs> it's like fire. Yeah, it's it's like Ebert's classic uh, abandoned smoke factory. Uh, <laughs> most famous in RoboCop, I would say. Mm. Showdown in the abandoned smoke factory at the end. <laughs> yeah, here, it's just, it, it is a factory that belches fire from the gates of hell and she picks up a house there uh, yeah the 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 uh like those houses that you can put on the back of trucks yeah uh, this looks like a smaller shittier version of one of those yeah the sort of version that this place would have and they probably mm. stack them up a bunch much like uh what you get in ready player one Right, they they have a system of like that where they just stack up a bunch of like, trailers. I still haven't seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I read the book. Oh, I still haven't read the book. <laughs> I don't recommend I'm not it. Gonna. <laughs> it's it's not very well written. No, uh, it's I've I've seen excerpts. It's it looks awful. Yeah, it's very uneven. Like I, I think yeah, anyway, it's clearly I, I figure it was probably borrowing some from this because it's intentionally boring from everything 80s it's it's what this book the book is it is reference to 80s the book and then reference to 80s the movie i don't know i haven't seen the movie i can't claim that (laughs) anyway she also picks up a package which he sees and he becomes very suspicious about because what if she's a terrorist he could be a terrorist there's all these uh uh, there, there's billboards and uh, posters that say, keep your eyes on the parcel. Oh, <laughs> shit. It's <laughs> got a parcel. There's no legit reason to have a parcel. It must be terrorism. Right. And there, there is that part where they're just driving down the road that is billboards. Like, the entire sides are billboards. They're in a tunnel of billboards because there's just a blasted, empty, barren landscape beyond them. That, man... That shot of like the blasted hellscape and like the city just off in the distance. Final Fantasy VII took that completely, except for the billboards. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's a very striking image. Uh, it's it's also Dark City. You ever see Dark City? No, but I want to. It is. It's on. It's been on my list for a long time. I just haven't gotten mm. to it. Yeah, it it is one that is in the stacks. Uh, definitely one we should totally watch sometime. Very interesting. Ooh. One that I think is heavily heavily influenced by brazil it's like brazil uh, it's a bridge between brazil and the matrix i would say Hmm, okay 
so he's asking about the parcel. He's very concerned about the parcel. Uh, but Jill obviously is asking him about information retrieval. Like, does it bother what you do? Bother you what you do there at information <laughs> retrieval? Is like, uh, it, he, it's weird. He doesn't come up with the very obvious thing where it's like, I, I, I don't do anything at information retrieval. <laughs> Yeah, he he doesn't seem to register as like he doesn't register. Why would he be bothered by it? Yeah, he actually has the knee jerk response. Well, I suppose you'd rather have terrorists. He's on the side of the system. He does not yeah. have the social awareness. Yeah, <laughs> but she like seeing that that is not working with the dream girl. He does come to the conclusion like, well, I mean, it is only my first day, which does. <laughs> chill her out is like okay i i guess he is just he's he's failed upwards and he's not actually dangerous to me <laughs> but she's wrong <laughs> uh -huh. because right away they go to a roadblock and he panics again because he thinks they're after him because he's made one mistake he's he's done something wrong and he thinks the system is perfect he thinks the system is totally comprehensive even though Despite he has the fact that he's his whole last like day has been, <laughs> yeah, he ha he has so much evidence of the system doing nothing, being uh, <laughs> totally incapable. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, just a routine roadblock that she's probably dealt with a million times. Yeah, I mean that's what the parcel is for. Uh, oh. He he does not realize that it it's going to be a while before he understands what the parcel is about, but he panics he makes her drive through the roadblock he drops the house and like the just he, it, it just it's it's a huge mess he like loses her, her job he destroys the cargo the police crash into it they explode there's police on fire and he kind of realizes that he's become a terrorist yeah uh side little sidebar i love like the police they kind of look like hovering personnel carriers that the police use yeah i mean i assume these are actual personnel carriers so in rather a sense it's a personal carrier it's rather than the personal carrier which was destroyed by the kids that he lost uh but these are personnel carriers so he does destroy maybe two of them in this crash Mm -hmm. <laughs> because he is going to be he's going to have a bill for personnel carriers later but i don't think it has anything to do with this i don't think they realize no, I think it's just another clerical error <laughs> yeah well it, it definitely starts as a clerical error yeah i i think he just starts getting the bills for everything else because he's a convenient place to funnel them <laughs> you know what <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just how this system works. <laughs> so we go to a crowded public square where we see a Consumers for Christ band playing instead of the Salvation Army. Oh, right. <laughs> Consumers for Christ. Consumers for Christ. Uh, they're, I, can't, I, I can't remember what song they're playing. They're doing a rendition of A Christmas Carol, but it's it has no lyrics and it's not... It's not quite like the minor key version of Jingle Bells you get in Nightmare Before Christmas, but something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what they're playing either. There's like a mall Santa, and there's a girl <laughs> on his lap, and she's asking for her own credit card. 
(laughs) (laughs) And Sam is is like super suspicious about the parcel. He keeps looking at it. He he wants to know what it is, but he runs into the terrains. So he's distracted and she goes to do her business. (laughs) Uh, Alma's gotten worse. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah so so is this where the complications have complications uh it might be i think there might be yet another time but yeah <laughs> she's just getting she's yeah, like she's the picture melting. of dorian gray yeah, yeah she is oh she's, my god she's the picture of dorian gray for his mother's like continual youthening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's brutal and then there's a big explosion. Obviously, terrorists hit the place because that happens all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The terrorist bombings must be—it just happen. Well, they're so routine that obviously that restaurant that they were in at the start when it happens <laughs> has a whole routine built in. They have <laughs> like enclosures that they know how to put around customers. <laughs> the people who are there at the table—it's so a non-thing that like Sam doesn't even look up from his menu. <laughs> so his overreaction here he has been suspicious about the parcel the whole time so he starts to think that it was jill and the parcel was the bomb so after he like rescues her from the debris he starts blaming her but it turns out she still has the parcel she still has the parcel it's just a bunch of those stupid gifts that he has it's just one of those fucking executive clickers a box full of those things he's like <laughs> yeah, it's bribes for dumbass officials like you you fucking idiot <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's not clear exactly what happens here because when they're facing the security personnel sam basically has a psychotic episode and goes into his dream and he thinks he's fighting the big peacock gold samurai again yeah um <laughs> and someone so, knocks him the fuck out <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's right he doesn't get to do a fight this time yeah he he starts to puff up like he's his angel guy and he's gonna do something heroic and someone clubs him <laughs> so he wakes up in one of the black bag transports but he's uh he's not in one of the black bags he's just like out unconscious on the floor they didn't need to black bag him and he's got an information retrieval uh suit on so they're like uh, what is it um they, they, he he wakes up to them gossiping about him <laughs> right i love these two guards they're like yeah. oh man the sweat gets in my eyes well i've got big eyebrows i don't gotta worry about that he's like oh yeah you're lucky I'm like oh who's he I'm like oh someone from information retrieval I'm like huh they're always hanging around in lingerie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! Now that I just thought about it for five seconds. <laughs> yeah, so good. Oh fuck! <laughs> so they have to knock him out again because he he flips out again. <laughs> <laughs> I love how like the black bag people are like hanging from the ceiling kind of yeah they're on the black bags it's uh, for the the track system like they're it's it's a processed system it's an assembly line type system for torture yeah yeah Yeah, it's (laughs) like the hooks kind of like yeah they go down the racks like meat with the big carcasses at the butcher place yeah exactly which again 
extremely horrifying. Every time you pull one of the strings enough, it's like, oh god, that's intensely disturbing. But it's funny when you like there there is an absurdist humor to it at the same time. Yeah, everyone's like making jokes. It's like these guys are all about to die. Yeah. So finally, he just has to go back to work. He's got a big shiner. He's been knocked out a couple times, and he's in trouble at work. Obviously, <laughs> he hasn't fucking done anything. Well, his partly because of that. Well, first, there's the personnel carriers issue. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, no, you don't understand. It was a personal carrier that was destroyed. This is just a typo. <laughs> but it's now become a convoy of personnel carriers at this point <laughs> which is still technically true just not well i think just two technically he has destroyed two but i don't think those have anything to do with it it's a whole convoy that they've yeah. attributed to him by this point and obviously just the paperwork is catching up with him they've got <laughs> the thing that he signed for the receipt and they're like this is very unorthodox. You signed this receipt for this woman. Uh, the, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. So he goes to see Jack again, because uh, Jack is the most powerful person he knows. <laughs> well, besides his mother, but he doesn't, he doesn't ever get that desperate. Well, mother's uh, away at the plastic surgeons for Christmas. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, because of Sam's actions, Jill is extremely wanted now. She's just like super oh, wanted. Yeah. This is what Jack tells him. Public enemy number one. <laughs> yeah. And it, it turns out Tuttle destroyed an apartment in your block. And he starts like narrowing it down. It's like, wow, it's actually really close to you. And it's like, yeah, it's my apartment. And he didn't destroy it. It was the services that destroyed it after he fixed it but he doesn't tell him that obviously no no uh and jack's like i think these things are connected <laughs> <laughs> because jack has also failed upwards and he's actually bad at his job he has yeah. ambition though he just has no scruples they're mirrors of each other he mm -hmm. he has ambition and no scruples uh our guy has an amount of scruples he he's clueless like they're similarly clueless about their situations mm -hmm. it's just he also has no ambition so the lack of scruples or the the amount of scruples he has don't like they prevent him from being ambitious but they don't do a lot else yeah. because he has no ambition to change things he has no dreams yeah so he uh, jack's like We've always been close, haven't we? Well, until this all blows over, just stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, perfect Palin delivery. De Niro actually wanted this part, but mm. it was written for Palin. <laughs> yeah. 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 So in his own he goes back to his own office and he keeps getting tubes like a messages in the tube so he feeds the two of them together and <laughs> the system fucking goes up <laughs> yeah doesn't this like destroy everything there is a massive paper explosion there's just paper raining in the streets outside he he really this is his most revolutionary act <laughs> he's all he's done is he's just like Taking a little tube to put the two tubes together. 
yeah, he just created a feedback loop within his own office. And uh, this is like, it is easy to destroy this system because it is so badly put together. It's not hard to be a revolutionary. It's just nobody was willing to do so. There's all these people blowing stuff up, but they don't have positions of power like he does because of the position he was born in, because of his wealth. (laughs) His wealth and nepotism. Yeah, exactly. Like, literally. (laughs) So I I do feel he's very interesting as a central character, as someone who dreams about being a hero, but is actively not being one when it literally would be very easy for him to do so just as it is here he causes a huge explosion in the 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 torture offices (laughs) and he can just get away with it because for being incompetent (laughs) still not not for long but no (laughs) working so he goes home and his apartment is frozen (laughs) it doesn't matter he's been evicted (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he doesn't live there anymore. I love it's the AC guys who give him the news. <laughs> yeah, but Tuttle is there too. Uh, and they're working in these bio suits, these uh, all over <laughs> plastic bio suits. <laughs> this is gross. This is a pretty nasty death that these guys get. I'm pretty sure they die of this. I They must. Because <laughs> Tuttle... It just seems like that kind of thing yeah he he moves the fresh air tube into their suits uh switches it with the sewage <laughs> not entirely unlike what uh, lowry just did in his office yeah it's it's a similar kind of feedback effect and uh we watch their suits fill with sewage and they drown and explode <laughs> <laughs> Woo, that's fucking crazy yep uh <laughs> Didn't think this movie would have a shit explosion in it. Yeah. Uh, so, Rip Spore and Dowser. <laughs> I hardly I knew ye. And Jill shows up, and they run off together, or they they start to run off together. They yeah. they go to uh, his mother's apartment because she's out of town at the plastic surgeon's spending Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Uh, I- I love how he basically tells her, it's like, I'm going to save you. Just stay here locked up in this apartment while I save you. Yeah. And he does actually have a pretty good plan at this point. Uh, True. And yeah. So it's 30 minutes left of the movie. And finally, they actually kiss. Uh, There there is a spark of romance. Uh, And at this point, I was convinced we must be watching a dream sequence now. I think we're still in reality. Uh, oh. It's it's a little bit further where things break. Yeah, okay. Oh, oh right, though, no, they do kiss before yeah. she puts on the wig. Yeah, it's it's the next morning, I think, when things break. Yeah, so, yeah. He leaves to fix things you know, with his, his super hacker skills. Uh, Just imagine if he actually used these skills to really do something he could do stuff he he is still pretty much exclusively self-interested however he's not really doing anything to fix larger systemic issues he could have he he could have like done something to save tuttle he could have he could have yeah uh well did he find out about it early enough to do so who knows i mean we don't know what happens with tuttle tuttle might still be out there at the end 
Oh, good point. Good point. What happens to him in the movie is dream. Oh, I'm thinking of Buddle. Shit. Oh yeah, no, Buddle <laughs> was screwed. <laughs> yeah, Buddle was out of his control. <laughs> oh, this whole Tuttle Buddle business has everybody screwed up. Yeah. I like when he's uh, going back into his office, Lime is leaving and he has his leg broken from the last bit of desk <laughs> fighting they were doing. <laughs> he just like grabs the whole desk. And he, and he like just, wrenches he just, oh! it. Yeah. So when he's leaving, his leg is broken. He's on crutches. I'm like, ah, he <laughs> broke his leg. <laughs> so Sam sneaks in, obviously through the secret elevator. He has the code. Here I am, J.H. Yep. <laughs> so he's able to hack into Mr. Helpman's computer, which obviously has the highest security clearance. There's a lot he can do there. Yeah, but he does one thing. He does one thing. He deletes Jill's file. He figures that should just solve everything. <laughs> yeah, because as we all know, changing one thing in the system doesn't cause a cascade of errors that snowball into a catastrophe. Right doesn't happen nope that that's definitely not a thing that happens so he goes back and he says you're dead and uh, uh she's got the wig on from his dreams uh she has that weird line care for a little bit of necrophilia oh i forgot about that too that's awful. weird line so i'm guessing this is where the uh the romance one ends somewhere around here uh surprisingly no oh oh okay uh next morning of course security shows up it's exactly like uh when they entered buttles they saw in they jump they come in through the ceiling yep and he's yelling she's dead she's dead it's okay uh and she's definitely killed here because uh as he's black bagged there's machine gun fire and she's gunned down oh jesus somehow i missed that Holy shit. Yeah, they don't show it, but you hear it. I important for later, because uh, it, it will yeah. come up. So <laughs> uh, they list his charges. Uh, one of them is destruction of an undetermined number of personnel carriers. <laughs> that kills me. That's such a funny joke. <laughs> they just admit, we don't know how many. We don't know how many. It was, it was a lot. Uh, so this is him on the processing, uh, the, it, like he's black bagged and he's on the racks going through all of the different rooms, uh, in information retrieval. And the funniest thing about it is most of them are just loan offers. <laughs> right. He's, he's talking yeah. to a bunch of people trying to sell him on loans to pay for the torture he's going to be enduring. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like, like, and it's super complicated, all the different, like, payback, uh, well, you know, it's, it's like student loans and shit. Yeah, yeah, it's extremely complex. And he's hanging in a black bag, and you can see just rows and rows of other rooms, of other guys in desks and people in black bags being wheeled past them. Which, again, it's one of those things that you think about and, like, it's extremely horrifying the the scope of this place. <laughs> and that it's just yeah. so boring business and it's very capital driven. They're trying to sell all of them on these loan offers for the torture that they're going to inflict on them. That's so fucked up! <laughs> it's really messed up. <laughs> so he passes out. He wakes up. He's in a padded room and Helpman is there dressed as Santa Claus. 
<laughs> so what is the this the rules of the game are uh, oh i'm not sure it, it's it's something he's he's talking about how the rules of the game are laid down and we all have to play by them even me so he's right, like i can't get you out of this yeah <laughs> So, of course, he asks yeah. about Jill, and Helpman says, oh, I'm afraid she was killed resisting arrest. And he's like, no, no, I did that. Uh, I that, that's <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's Sorry, the... you go ahead. Yeah, he's like, uh, no, he's like, no, no, I did that. That's uh, what I put in her report. And he's like, oh, but it appears to have happened twice somehow. Yeah, right. I, I remember that line now. I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so she was killed. Like, you hear the she machine died, guns and her was... screaming. Yeah. So he is put in a bag again and he's brought to the torture sphere. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is Jack's workplace. <laughs> this gigantic room that's just empty and he's in the middle of it. Very and, spooky. I think it's yeah. some sort of big factory. Like I it's the same sort of places that he uses in 12 Monkeys for the future. Similar you kind know, of sense. Yeah, there's no? Yeah, oh, there, there's actually a lot of twelve monkeys in this. Like the way the computers have the magnifying glass kind of look to oh, them. Oh yeah, totally. They both do that. I mean, that that's clearly the kind of future dystopia he likes. There's also zero theorem, which he made much later. That similar vibes in terms of its future dystopia. <laughs> Not as good. Uh, oh. His later stuff mixed, really mixed. Uh, Zero Theorem, one of the better ones. I liked Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. I still haven't watched his uh, Don Quixote. I haven't seen any of these. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some of them are terrible. Tideland is fucking wretched. I hated his brother's grim. Unwatchable. So, yeah, he's... Jack is there. He's wearing the baby mask. So, it, it has to be a thing that he's aware of to some degree. It, it, yeah, it would have to. Yeah, maybe he just kind of sees people with baby masks in passing on his way to work, and it's just like, yep, oh, they're off to retrieve information. But like, we don't see Jack wearing it outside of here. I, I just figure it's a thing that is somewhere in his experience that he is aware of it at some level because he is this deep within the bureaucracy. Uh, mm. It's just a thing that he's filed away and is something he's not thinking about you know because it's the same thing that they're the caged and all these people who are dusty and they are the bottle family at certain times they're the things that drag him down and i feel like it's it's more of a freudian or jungian kind of analysis where you got these are the things that trouble him that he doesn't want to think about Mm. And then he's kind of just filed away. He's like, no, 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 I don't need to think about that. That's not about me. And then, oh, but then when he's filed away too many of them, the uh, the Shire turns into the giant filing cabinet towers. I guess so. There, there's, he's at a breaking point here for sure. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a guard who warns him, if you hold out too long, you can jeopardize your credit rating. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh so he's 
Jack is really very upset about Sam being there. It's uh, it's especially Sam recognizing him. It's too real for him. There, there's like it is a degree of reality that he's not used to in his work. He's used to being very separate from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not having to like think of the person as a person. Right. And I think this is about as far as reality goes. This is where reality breaks. Here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because suddenly out of nowhere, he's shot in the head. <laughs> ah, yes. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's Tuttle. Tuttle leading a revolutionary company. army. They are here to save Sam Lowry because he's so important. He's done so <laughs> much for the cause. Yeah, it is at this point. I'm like, these people would not be yeah, what? doing this for him. Why would they care? Who's he? He's nobody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's, he's intentionally nobody. He's nobody to anybody. So they rappel in, they battle the guards, they rescue Sam. Very big, heroic, exciting ending. Uh, there's a fun parody of the Odessa Steps sequence from Battleship Potemkin. It's like the uh, the guys going down the steps and firing the gun simultaneously. And there's like the turned yeah. over uh, robot vacuum. <laughs> in, of course, Potemkin, it's a baby carriage. You ever seen Battleship oh, okay. Potemkin? Very classic. Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, Eisenstein, sort of, uh, for film montage, very legendary. Hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, the robot vacuums. Yes. <laughs> robot vacuums all over the place. He predicted the Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> Although these ones are big and cartoonish. They feel like uh, ones that would talk in a children's show. Yeah, and, and get in the <laughs> way a lot. Oh, absolutely. They are clearly in the way. Beep. It's a living. Yeah. Beep. So outside Tuttle offers Sam the plunger. He gets to blow up the information retrieval offices himself. Because <laughs> he's such a hero. He did it. He's a big hero. Uh, it snows paper. You know, the, the whole place blows. <laughs> but oh no, Tuttle is getting assaulted by paper. Well, it's like he said. He couldn't deal with the paperwork. And they're in that public square where the uh christ uh, consumers for christ band was playing earlier the paperwork is getting the best of him yeah it just starts collecting around him he's consumed with paperwork <laughs> and yeah it, it literally blows away and he's not there <laughs> yeah which obviously we are outside of reality but it's cool that there's only just a sense of dread setting in for sam that the reality isn't real Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Sam gets to a funeral. Uh, obviously, Mrs. Terrain's <laughs> acid treatment complications had further complications. She turned into gelatin. <laughs> oh, I love the funeral setup where, like, the parts where they aren't sitting are just billowing fabric. Yeah, I mean, it's very abstract. It's clearly like a weird dream space. Uh, her, her coffin, yeah, it comes up and she's just a bunch of bones and jelly that just slide out all over Sam. <laughs> very disgusting. Uh, his mother has, his mother is like, don't, don't look at me, you're cramping my style. And she looks like the girl. Yeah, she's so young, she has to be played by a different actress. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's played by the dream girl, which is very eerie. Uh, but of course, she still has the shoe on the head and everything. You know that it's her. Oh yeah, And she has the voice. Like, dub yeah. in. 
And of course, security arrives. Uh, so Sam goes through the coffin into the underworld. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> we are in cuckoo land now. <laughs> so the thing is, we're still not at the end of the Love Conquers All cut. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's escaped into his own dream space. He becomes his hero. Uh, there's the baby yep. monsters with the faces and uh, he he escapes and he turns a knob and he's in the back of a truck and driven by Jill. It's one of those houses that uh, like the one he dumped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only now it's his and they're going to live happily ever after. Yeah, Jill's driving. It's a miracle. They drive far away and they find a space and green and they start a family. This is where the Love Conquers All cut ends. Oh, yeah. Right here. Yeah. So they cut out like a different hour of stuff. They cut out so much stuff on the way, but it is incoherent because there's no way any of the stuff leading up to this could have happened. It has the Tuttle yeah, thing because they... you can't write out Tuttle. Yeah, no. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, without the next scene, the <laughs> movie doesn't work. Yeah, it's total nonsense. That's the one that they wanted to release to theaters. This is why Terry Gilliam said no and uh, took out a page in a newspaper is like release my cut your cut is stupid <laughs> because yeah like we've now confirmed twice that she died yeah she's she is dead uh so yeah uh no they they lived happily ever after in a green space okay uh but then obviously but what really happens yeah what really happens it cuts out and he's still in the sphere uh, and we see Jack and Mr. Helpman both there. And he's just humming this. He's thumbing the theme song. <laughs> and uh, it's like, he's gone away from us, Jack. It's like, I'm afraid you're right, Mr. Helpman. And it ends on him in this big, creepy, empty space, humming the theme song. And, you know, his, <laughs> he's he's gone. His, he's broken. His mind has gone away. Yep, that's it. <laughs> uh, obviously not the sort of ending that the studio wanted to end on, but there's no way that they could fix it. Not possible. <laughs> not really. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it was this big battle. There's a book about it. I think it's called The Battle of Brazil. <laughs> that sounds okay. That sounds fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it is a great movie. Uh, returning to it, it's... It held up better than I had hoped, uh, just in that I, I had kind of worried that coming back to it, there was a sense of him as a hero in the system, but he is distinctly non-heroic and the movie is fully aware of it. Yeah, he is. This man is never portrayed in a positive light except for in his own dreams and then it's debatable well even then he's troubled by the things that he's trying to ignore uh most of the the trouble in his dreams comes from the things he's trying not to pay attention to in the dystopia that he is part of yeah yeah and the fact that like a typo caused an innocent guy to be killed and ruined a family yeah and he went to her house and got mad at her for not being super thankful for giving her some money uh like after 30 30 bucks yeah get a little you know <laughs> refund check and it's like but i sent you a gst check come on uh 
it's 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 a lot uh, <laughs> it, it is a movie <laughs> that has a very cumulative emotional effect like i do find i i do find that the more i watch it the more it hits me in places especially all the stuff with mrs mrs bottle uh the what have you done with his body scene it's so raw oh and the the fact that we never find out what happened to his body either I, it, like they bring it up and they don't i presume they just put them in in uh, a furnace or something i i don't think they yeah. keep them uh, no but that would just be too fact... much work to return oh, them somewhere sure. where do you even do funerals in this space yeah, you just toss them. Uh, I figure you got like filing cabinet buildings that are just sort of mm, corpse yep. storage places, <laughs> or, or like a paper shredder, but for people. Yeah, something like that, like a mulcher system. Maybe there is a whole soylent green thing going on that is completely outside of Sam's business because he has money, like he he is attached to wealth. That's the cool thing about this movie. If this movie feels like it's so much bigger than the movie itself, like mm. it could have a whole soil and green thing, like you say, that we don't even touch on. It right. feels like there's all this stuff it's, going on just off to the side. I yeah. that we could look at it. We aren't. I totally agree. There, there is a depth to this future that is troubling. Like, like I say, there's so many threads that you can pull at, and there's it. it it is absurd and there are things that don't feel logical or real, but you can extrapolate them into a whole story that kind of is uh, uh, unpleasantly real, uh, too close yeah. to reality. Mm-hmm. Like, not, like there, not there's so a lot of parallels from here that. Yeah. In real life. Well, and, and especially extrapolating from a specific point in time from the early industrial era when it was just pure unbridled capitalism uh, before any sort of controls were put on it, which is, you know, where the 80s were heading back toward. It's where they started reeling yeah. back protections that had been introduced in the time since, which is where we're at now. <laughs> we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're moving in this direction. So, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's a movie that holds up uh, surprisingly well for me. Uh, I mean, I expected it to still be great. I, I didn't expect it to be as relevant as it still is. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect at all. So I I was just, I just loved it. Yeah, good, good movie. And it's a Christmas movie. I, I had totally forgotten about it before we watched, but yeah, we're we're into December already with a Christmas movie. So obviously we don't have any replacement with this one because this right. was just a full random pick. So uh, any last thoughts before we head on to part two? Brazil. Da, 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 da. All right, on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're going to be talking about two more features starting with the 1975 uh, uh, Makoto Naito film, The 13 Steps of Maki, which is, I, I, I'm not wrong in saying it is completely a exploitation movie. It is a Miko Kaji ripoff movie of two of her franchises. Uh, I would say Street Cat Rock more than Female Prisoner, but Definitely. there's some Prisoner in there. 
I'd say like a, a solid third of the movie uh, is devoted to female prisoner scorpion, just in the center, and then it goes back to just their their stray cat rock thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. Although it, it's not even so stray cat rock by the end, she's maybe more of a lady snowblood by that point, which is another Mako. Oh, series. I need to see that one. Those are good. Uh, but yeah, she's just out for revenge by the end of it, obviously. <laughs> So this is from but, the Shout Factory uh, Sunny Chiba collection, volume two. Sunny Chiba's in this movie, <laughs> sort of. Sunny Chiba's photograph is in this movie. It's in the fo- yeah, he's his photo is in the movie a few times. They're talking about him a few times. He's a, <laughs> he might show up at the end, and man, when he does, it's gonna be awesome. It's crazy. They seem to be hyping up that he's going to show up and they're going to storm the place together. That you know, she he's the brother of the main character, uh, Maki Hyuga. Yeah, uh, played by Itsuko Shihomi, and he, yeah, he he just he never turns up. <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder if Sunny Chiba knew he was in this film. I'm not sure because she is Sister Street Fighter too. Like she plays Sister Street Fighter. Oh my god, so the, they it could have been footage that they had from before? It could That's be, why, that might be yeah. why she has different hair. It could be recycled footage from one of the ah! Sister Street Fighter movies, completely. Ah. Uh, so that might be why he's in it. He may not have any idea that he's in this movie. It's a very pure <laughs> exploitation film. <sighs> That's funny. Yeah, so... Uh, it, it does not contain a, uh, an abundance of Sunny Chiba for being in the Sunny Chiba collection, but I'm still glad <laughs> that Show Factory included it. I wouldn't have seen this movie any other way. Exactly. Yeah. And it is it is a pretty fun movie. It's fun. It's completely absurd. Like it's very very heightened. It's uh, it, it's it's an a super exploitation version of what's already an exploitation premise and exploitation <laughs> movies. Like the others are sort of art versions of it. Like they do have a lot of style. This mm. movie has some style, but it's more just looking to do the exploitation. I mean, the first shot of this movie on the tracks, <laughs> the train so the, tracks. The, the absolute very first shot of this movie is like <laughs> these two girls tied up to train tracks, spread eagle at like, these big spike heel boots come down. <laughs> yeah, and this, like these people, they are uh, crazy. Uh, the <laughs> the villains, the bad guys in this. I, I it, it it sounds to me that there is this other girl who isn't. Uh, is it Taka, uh, Ebihara? Uh, Takako Ebihara. Takako Ebihara. Girl. Yeah, I I do not get her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. So I don't think she's even involved in this one particular girl fight. No, she's not involved here. She becomes involved when uh, they show up on the beach in the stray cat jeep. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just a regular girl gang versus girl gang fight. Regular. (laughs) (laughs) The regular regular tying a lady uh, naked with her legs open to an oncoming train. Yeah, normal stuff. It is regular, though, because this whole movie is, <laughs> is like them going, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie is, like, 
Maki's friends have been kidnapped. She goes to rescue them. The Yakuza come back and take revenge. They beat them up. Maki goes to the Yakuza base, beats them up. The Yakuza comes back and beats them up. It's just constant. It, it is like Stray Cat Rock. It's like they're doing all of the Stray Cat Rock movies in a row in like a <laughs> compressed sequence. Because it's like, I, I think it's the Seiyuu group in... In the first one, it's a Seiyuu. In in the original, right. And yeah. this one, it's something else. But uh, it's the still, Diamond Group. The Diamond Group. But again, it's almost the exact same plot. It's like, oh, well, we've got to get in with the Diamond Group. Yeah, yeah. So Maki comes and just kicks the shit out of all these guys. and She's got a 13 on her shirt. <laughs> she's got a 13 on her shirt. Her number. Uh, that is her number and she we learn or would learn all about the 13 steps of maki in this extended theme song but i want to know what the 13 steps are we never learn <laughs> no because they apparently yeah apparently the song is about it but they don't subtitle the lyrics so i don't know they're singing yeah. in japanese yeah i don't get it uh weird choice yeah but, uh, you know, we get to see, like, freeze frames of her doing cool martial arts shit. She, she's pretty good. Yeah, she's fun I'm to watch. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, li- I like her. Kind of rips. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I know she's capable because I've seen the Sister Street Fighter movies. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she... <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the times, they don't even actually show the aftermath of the fight. They just show the fight and then... We're supposed to infer who won, and then they transition to the next thing. Yeah, there's just too many fights to get through in this movie. <laughs> so the the next big thing that happens is there's this woman running through the screen, through the street, naked, screaming, "Help me! Help me! Help me!" Uh, and she comes across Mackie's gang, and they immediately like help her. They surround her, put a coat on her. Wildcats. <laughs> the wildcats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again. Why do they just call them the stray cats? Come on. It's, it's what you're doing. You know you're doing it. <laughs> yep. And, and the next scene, like, after they... They don't even bother with the, oh, exposition of where she came from. The, the next scene is just Maki knocking on the door of Yakuza. It's like, hey, we've got your... Ho- we rescued your girl, and she's yeah. part of us now, and we're going to beat you up now. Yeah, they go to the offices of the, Di- the Diamond Group, and they're like, hey, we're keeping her, so don't come looking for her again. Uh, and obviously she's part of our group fight. now yeah she's yeah. part of the wild cats I'm like are we yeah. gonna get those wild cats and man, they fucking get those wild cats honestly yeah, they really they really fucking do once maki is out of the way those wild cats do not have a chance no they <laughs> <laughs> so so unlike in stray cat rock uh in this one maki is the only girl in the gang who is anything she is the group uh she is like <laughs> She has a bunch of, it, it, it's like she has her own stable. Like they're, they're, I, I, I don't know what they do. They're supposed to be her gang, but none of yeah, them what? ever fight. No, um, no, it's only ever her fighting. It's like, they, she, they're just these girls she protects. <laughs> well, she's teaching girls. them Kung Fu. Oh, I guess she's trying to teach them, but it, it doesn't come to anything. <laughs> <laughs> no because they keep going back and forth getting kidnapped and rescued and assaulting and kidnapped and rescued and assaulting the base and kidnapped rescue assault the base 
it's like a, it feels like a bunch of episodes of Gem and the Holograms, except <laughs> exploitation version where they do the most crazy stuff. Like people are getting put into sex slavery every time they get switched back. People are like getting dosed with a bunch of heroin and opium every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we meet the honorable, or, well, tries to be honorable bad guy, Eto, who just wants to have a one-on-one match with Maki and see if she's really as good as as they say. Yeah. Tatsuya, uh, uh, Tatsuya Eto, uh, I don't get this character at all. <laughs> He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like, see, the thing is, Maki seems down for the challenge. So he could just not join up with the Yakuza and be like, hey, Maki, I want to challenge you to a fight. And she'd probably be down for it. I feel like he's already working for them. And oh. he doesn't seem to be happy to be working for them. It's much no. like Goro. He, yeah. He's really being like, I have to. He, he's really mad every time they're like, you're sending me to go fight a bunch of teenage girls. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm like a trained fighter. I'm a hitman. This is stupid. They're a bunch of teenage girls. I thought you people were a real organization. I feel like an asshole working for you. (laughs) And the thing is, like, every time he tries to have his honorable one-on-one duel, the Yakuza gang gets involved and, like, starts trying to kidnap the girls. And he's like, hey, no, (laughs) I'm trying to be honorable here. You're making me look, ruining my reputation. Uh. I'm looking at his other movies. Um, I I think he does porn. Oh, okay. Because he's in a movie called Tokyo Deep Throat after this. <laughs> it's uh, the I, same I, year. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's Deep Throat, but they made it in Japan. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's actually uh, a porno, but it is the same plot. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, they they drive off the Yakuza, and then they're just... We don't see the, any actual resolution to that fight. They just drive them off, and then the, in the next scene, they're in the Stray Cat Rock Jeep. Yeah, so it is. Is the actual Jeep? I mean, it looks exactly the same. I guess they are just some military... It's an American military Jeep, basically. Yeah. It, but... I mean, it is exactly the same type of model if it's not the same jeep itself yeah i mean they've intentionally gotten the same jeep uh i don't know if it's literally the same jeep it could be i don't know if it's made by the same studio oh okay Uh, well still it's let's see it is toei let me see if toei also did because it it might actually be uh stray cat rock uh they are a series by Nikatsu. So it is a oh, rival okay. studio. <laughs> probably not the same Jeep. Yeah, probably just intentionally copying. <laughs> and they get run off the road by this bitch in a Trans Am. Yeah, rich girl. Because uh, she has Yakuza her... dad? No, her dad is in business with the Yakuza for to get geishas for his restaurant but he seems to think that he's gonna somehow go legit after this right well i mean that does seem to be a viable path if we have uh remember last week we had that one boss uh i want to say izumi 
who oh, yeah. <laughs> was forcing his massagist to uh, uh, sleep with him in front of an underling while also saying he plans to get out of the business and go into politics next year. Right. <laughs> so I guess it's viable. <laughs> so she runs them off the road and they immediately find her at the beach and uh, strip her <laughs> naked and bury her in the sand. Well, she's protesting that he's like, hey, watch out. My dad's this guy and he works with them. I'm like, oh, you're 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 rich person with an influential dad well then we can't let you live and i don't yeah. really know how they do get out of it because they bury them <laughs> up to their necks in sand with the tide coming in and leave <laughs> yeah but you know they're all right they're fine well, i we, guess we don't see the guy that she's with he never comes back he might have died <laughs> maybe he died <laughs> it's just everything in this movie seems to be disproportionate revolution or yeah. um retaliation to everything else yeah this is where I, I feel it has almost a gem in the holograms kind of vibe like the the outsized reactions it feels like just a bunch of wars between the holograms and the misfits <laughs> we are the misfits our songs are better <laughs> uh, so now we meet our yakuza boss diamond who yeah. is so ebihara wants to go legit and Kind of cut ties with the yakuza boss but the yakuza boss is like i actually want a bigger piece of this pie yeah i would and, like more money please yeah and you don't seem to understand that i'm not requesting money but i'm threatening you for it <laughs> it takes you a long time to figure that out yeah you will give me the money <laughs> i and need it, the money <laughs> we need the money though <laughs> And Takako comes in and is like, hey, Yakuza boss, I'm going to flirt with you so that you can help me take care of these high school girls that are troubling me. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're pretty hot. So, OK. So this guy, he's uh, he's also in uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity. Oh, is he? Uh, was it Hiroshima Deathmatch that we watched last? That was the last one we saw, yeah. He's Muraoka, uh, Suneo. Oh, fuck! That's, uh, okay, he's like the main bad guy in that. Yeah, he's one of the main bads. That's kind of cool. Cool, yeah. Uh, uh, Hiroshi Nawa. Anyway. So yeah, and and he's also decided that he wants to marry Takako. Of course, because she's hot. And she's rich. Her her dad's rich. She's not into him, and I don't think she's ever entirely aware that he wants to marry her, because he's only ever talking to her dad about it, and then it's really sprung on her at the end, when it's like, okay, it's fine. The two of us are going to get married, and that's how it's going to work. He's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly how it is. He's talking about it with the dad the whole movie, but they never mention it to her. Yeah, it it comes as quite a shock to her. So yeah, they they talk to Edo, and this is where they're like, "Hey, we need you to take care of these high school gang." And he's like, "No, no, it's <laughs> not like, what I'm, I do. I'm here to do yakuza shit." I feel like such a jerk. They're teenage girls. You know what you could do? Just ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> but Takako won't take that lying down. <laughs> no, no. She has this, it, it is a Sundara relationship between them for a while. Obviously, she will later fall in love with him. Yeah, but 
It's too late. (laughs) (laughs) He's already Uh, ruined. They've destroyed him by then. So we have a scene of Maki visiting, I guess it's her uncle. And the uncle is like, oh yeah, yeah, do all this stuff. I'll just talk about your backstory, but make sure you look at the photograph and make sure you get it on camera. We paid a lot for this Sunny Chiba photograph. Yeah, I mean, she's looking at a lot later when she's hanging out with the girls. They're all talking about her cool brother who lives in the Rockies and is training (laughs) in America right now or whatever. Uh, Yep. (laughs) And yeah, they they go about, they go a little bit over the backstory, which is exactly that. He's training in America and that's it. That's the whole thing. The two of them are both prodigies and I think they're orphans and they both have incredible kung fu skills but he's the one who's off training in america and is like going to start a branch of karate there or something and they're like it'll be so exciting when he comes back (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's gonna be great he'll put these yakuza in their place i'm sure oh yeah wait for that scene that'll be awesome (laughs) but uh first we have to convince the audience a little bit more that sunny chiba is real as this pimp guy comes up to the girl gang and is like hey guys i I saw kenichi in la i'm here from your brother uh he 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 has a message for you but of course it's all just a fake out and he kidnaps someone because they're always kidnapping everyone well he kid well mackie is away so he lures the other girls with this thing about her brother and and this is the one where they just drive the car right into the back of a Yakuza truck. Oh yeah. They all they put them all in a truck and he just like puts the like loads them into the back of a truck, like <laughs> merchandise. Which is what they end up being for basically the rest of the movie. They they just end up being sex trafficked. They're in a dungeon for a while, they're all being drugged. This- you know what? This isn't the time where they get kidnapped no. and sex trafficked. They get kidnapped and sex trafficked again later. I know. It's several <laughs> times. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. This time they just get uh, stripped nude and tied up to a carousel in an amusement park. It, it reminds and... me of... There, there is this... Um, there, there's a mystery science theater on... Oh, what the hell movie is it? Uh... There, there. It's it's an underground world. I think it's the mole people, and there's just one character who is constantly useless. And they call him the load. And just every time there's anything, I was like, they should just put a handle on that guy's back. <laughs> <laughs> All of these people need a handle on their back. They don't do anything. <sighs> so we don't even see. We don't even watch her rescue them from the from the evil amusement park or whatever we just assume that she gets them out of there right yeah because <laughs> the next scene she does because is... they're they're out with her <laughs> yeah they're out the next scene is her slapping them is like hey what are you guys doing getting kidnapped so easily yeah that was stupid yeah. you got to do better with your kung fu and like we'll do better and they don't <laughs> they don't <laughs> they don't get better uh... <laughs> they, they just get captured again <laughs> yeah no because the next scene we've got uh, uh this big celebration for ebihara's business uh celebrating that they did really good and the yakuza show up right. and it's like hey we I want our that cut. business partner yeah. thing like 
you're cutting out the Yakuza. You got to understand this is stupid. It's, it's going to come like, back on you. He's like, ah, I might play out the rope just a little bit further. <laughs> but Maki crashes the thing to fight them and kick their asses. Well, yeah, they, they tried to kidnap her girls again. And yeah. they will again. <laughs> <laughs> we introduced that the Yakuza also impla- employs a, apparently an actual samurai. Right, we've got a samurai in here. Yeah, uh, but, you know, he gets his ass kicked this time. Mm. Now they kidnap Takako from this thing. And here's where it gets ridiculous. They tattoo this, like, flower on her shoulder. Right, this is crazy. They, It's an incredibly elaborate tattoo that they do on her back. Uh, and yeah. it's it's to, uh, to bring her down a peg because she's high class and she comes from money. But now, you know, tattoos, as we kind of alluded to way back when we talked about, um, it was Tokyo Fist, right? I uh, think so. Where the wife there gets uh, a tattoo and it just drives the guy insane because, you know, classy people aren't supposed to have tattoos. It's only for criminals and geisha. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what they're doing. You know, the tattoo is going to ruin her and she won't be able to marry into a rich family. But it doesn't matter to her yet because she's already kind of starting to think about this uh, Edo guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so later it's going to be a great in with him. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> so so the girls get kidnapped again i didn't even write down how it happened yeah, this time I, I don't think we even see it. it it is just a thing like she comes back and there's a note and like we have your girls again it's it's that kind of shit like it happens so often that it does just become like eh, there's a note this time yeah we, we just cut to maki in the yakuza building like checking doors yeah it's like oh well they're gonna be here somewhere it's how it keeps <laughs> happening i think this is where they finally put them in the dungeon uh this is yeah this is where they put them in the dungeon because this is where maki encounters edo and the this time the fight's interrupted because the yakuza called the cops on her oh yeah they just called the police like, this lady <laughs> is trespassing <laughs> she's beating up all our guys <laughs> and she goes to jail She's in jail. They've got this long <laughs> sequence of her on a prison bus while they do this song that isn't the female prisoner scorpion song, but it's meant to make you think of it. It clearly is meant to make you think of it. And she's prisoner number 13, obviously. <laughs> they just give it to her. Like, come on. It's what she wants. <laughs> Meanwhile, somewhere, somebody's like, but I've been 13 for 15 years. <laughs> not anymore, you're not. <laughs> and of course there's a whole different plot in jail and there's a new girl boss that she has to deal with her character is literally just called girl boss that's how she's basic got, like, we are yeah she's got two minions one of them has like really long hair for strangling and one of them uh is a girl who maki from the past put her in here and so she's got a grudge of course uh, they yeah, they barbecue one girl on a fire in a barrel. It's crazy. And, and like, they don't kill her. They just, like, are burning her, and she's, like, screaming. And then they, like, pull her off of it and put her in bed. And it's like, and don't tell anyone what's going on, because the guard comes by <laughs> to see what's going on. It's like, what's that smell? Why does it smell like barbecued human flesh in here? Like again, it, it, this is so unbelievably cartoonishly heightened. It's ridiculous. Yep. yep. 
And of course, the warden's a skeevy pervert, because of course he is. Yeah, and the girl boss, she has like a whole outdoor kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> There's like stables <laughs> and horses and shit. <laughs> well, apparently, I, I think it's like they're supposed to, like their prison, part of their prison thing right. is to do farm work. Yeah, yeah. I guess. That, that is their, that, that is the work that they seem to be doing. Although I don't uh, get they, exactly how it fits together with the prison. It, it is a little bit no, peculiar. It does feel like they get a lot of freedom, actually. And yeah, although, again, it, it is a different prison system. And I don't know how, how, I don't know a whole lot about the Japanese prison system. I do know it, that the prison system in the, in the Scorpion movies is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe this is closer yeah. to reality. Yeah, but eventually Maki beats the girl boss, and yeah. now they're all friends. Yeah, they become besties. There's she's going to show up later and help her in her massive revenge trip, which is the last third of the movie where she just kills an entire house of dudes. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, uh, Takako's subplot here's right around when she's in jail. Uh, we find out that Diamond shows Takako and Ebihara uh, his. The whole sex thing is like, yeah, all the geishas I've been sending you, Maki's gang. Yeah, they're they're Maki's gang. Obviously, I mean that's you you captured them for me to sex traffic. What else was I going to do with them? And <laughs> she's shocked. shocked. She can't this believe it. This is what it. I wanted. It's like <laughs> I just wanted you to teach them a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you kidding? What did you think was happening? You kept capturing these people. What you do is sex traffic. That's your job. I don't even understand what you thought could possibly happen. So she's very upset. And Edo is on her side. He thinks this is pretty yeah. fucked up. So they destroy his hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love how they do like this whole thing. He's like, yeah, I'm a former Yakuza. I can't go back anymore. And then he shows the tattoo. Oh, right. She, She's like, she shows I have her a tattoo. tattoo as well. And they bond. Uh, and Except so the circumstances of their tattoos are going to be completely different <laughs> yeah it's not really the same kind of thing uh and it it doesn't work out anyway he gets his hands no. destroyed uh they they get they just start hitting him with a big piece of wood a big piece of wood with, nails with a nail in it, in it. yeah uh, so, no a lot of nails what is some nails uh yeah. oh right no it's it's a, one of those flower things it's it's the thing that you put a bunch oh, of flowers okay. on right Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know what that was meant to be used for. I just thought it was a, a hand destroyer. Yeah, it's it's a flower holder device thing. But yeah, they, they can destroy his hands with it. Rack him um, up. Yeah, so so more su another subplot is that uh, Daimon's got this side piece uh, who is also oh, yeah. working with Ebihara, but she's barely a thing. Yeah, I don't remember uh, her at all. <laughs> well, her only thing is to have sex with Daimon and be like, oh yeah, Ebihara's planning on cutting ties with you, and that's and that sets up the car bombing. Right. So the, the they get or Ebihara gets exploded. Uh the girl ends up under his control because he's going to marry her. This is around where she yeah. she finds out that she's gonna marry him. It's a big surprise to her. Yeah, at first she rejects him, and then she, then she goes along with it. It's like, okay, well, now that you're marrying me, I got to show you this. Remember when I tortured all the girls? Well, now I'm torturing Edo the same way. Right, and she's like, okay, that's great. And she, 
she kind of leans into it a little bit more than she needs to. She's she beats she's really torturing him for she a bit is, too. Yeah, like it, it is a ploy so that she can drop a hairpin and he can escape, but she is beating the shit out of him. Yeah, and it it's weird to me because there is clearly a very mean streak in her that does exist. Like mm-hmm. she is able to turn that switch and be convincing to him because it is there. So I don't know how bitch. much, yeah, she is pretty awful. So I don't know how much of this is play acting and how much of this is, all right, I, I can do this. I can just be that evil. Uh, but it, it is how she convinces him. And now she's going to take him out from the other end and she gives him a way to break the lock. And uh, meanwhile, girl boss and the gang have helped Maki escape. <laughs> the escape is so funny. <laughs> I was like, you, you could have do that. gotten anybody out that way. Yeah, more could have gone. You you could have like broken out the whole gang. You just get some extra people. Uh, <laughs> it, it's you're just forming a human ladder. <laughs> yeah, they they like they give her they give her a boost over the wall. That's all they're doing. <laughs> uh, but she gets away, and uh, it's time for her mega revenge. Obviously, first she finds out what happened to the girls, and they've all been sex trafficked. Yeah, but. Uh, oh yeah that's right because Takako visits her in, vi- in prison before she escapes and right. it's like what are you doing here oh Maki I I can't believe it they've been sex trafficked somehow <laughs> I don't like... know who could have done this <laughs> it's, it's like the Eric Andre meme yeah, where, she... Yeah. <laughs> uh, where she shoots him and it's like I don't exactly. know who did this <laughs> who could have done this thing uh yeah so that's how she finds out that's why she needs to break out and then it is that incredible like the last half hour just constant revenge fight is so good it's just it really is just 20 minutes of her breaking into this wedding and just killing every every fucking person that little that that guy who hasn't thrown a punch yet and he's just kind of standing beside the boss yeah he's gonna die of course he is. Uh, every the single one of them. The guy in the white suit who hasn't been in a fight since the first one, he dies. Every single person in the building who is just a guy in a suit who has no name. Yeah, every single one of them is brutally going down. I, I really love there's that one dude who has gold teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like she punches him in the face and he spits out these kernels of corn <laughs> yeah just like all, all of the teeth just bleh, all come out bloody oh uh, there's eyes knocked out some pretty good oh eyes we forgot the most important part the sunny chiba flashback oh yeah the jail. dream sequence she, she dreams of him and they train Maki, together <laughs> you must be strong maki <laughs> he had That's a line all he, says. he got a line <laughs> right so that was sunny chiba's part he was in the movie <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah, yeah so, she got revenge <laughs> she she finds the sex dungeon and she calls out all of their names and that's how we first find out that the girls have names it is crazy we have heard maybe two of the names previously and it's like oh uh, wow each of them has a name and then she's mad at them she's slapping them like get yourselves together like, she's like trying to slap the heroin addiction out of them yeah, they're they're all drugged <laughs> and it doesn't work no of course it doesn't work she is the only one participating in this fight uh, yeah, um, Takako is fighting that other girl, whatever her name is. She doesn't get a name in a bedroom. Uh, right. Uh, I think she ends up getting stabbed. Yeah, because nobody gets out except Maki. 
Yeah. Uh, Edo shows up to just get sorted. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's finally <laughs> broken out and he shows up heroically and then someone stabs him. It's just like fucking uh, Scatman Crothers in The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that. Uh, oh yeah, the guy with the eyeball bump bugging out of his head awesome really great just i knocked out sequence <laughs> that one's rad. that one's rad the samurai guy comes back with his katana but he's got another katana and he fucking puts them together and does the darth maul thing he's gotta he, he's gotta do like his big show of power before he gets mercilessly killed <laughs> oh yeah he gets his ass kicked she's she's found two red nunchucks now oh i love them and she can do so many things with them yeah, and of course she's wearing like her trade. I guess this is her trademark shirt, like it looks sweater kind of, with a big red thirteen. Yeah, it looks sort of like the classic Bruce Lee Game of Death uh, jumpsuit. Oh shit! It's it's kind of similar to that, but with the thirteen Kinda. blue instead yeah. of yellow. Yeah. yeah. Um, she finally gets to the boss, and she just first she like nunchucks his ears off, <laughs> and then does something right because they're his bladed head. nunchucks too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like the ones in Pray for Death. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, she she just stabs the shit out of him, destroys him. He has no chance. Yeah, he's dead. And, I mean, he was not a fighter in the first place. He's just a nope. businessman. <laughs> uh, not a very good businessman. Be my business partner? No. Please? <laughs> no. Please? No. Let me marry your daughter? No. God, no. I'm going to blow you up. But it ended up working until it didn't, and then he yeah, got fucking yeah. stabbed to death. <laughs> and then Maki and T- Takako are staring each other down. <laughs> and Maki just throws her nunchucks to the floor and runs away angrily. Right, because it's over. I mean, she's killed everybody. So I guess yeah. Takako survives, isn't she? But she's she badly. Survives. She's stabbed, isn't she? No, she it... she... No, she got away okay, oh, I, I guess. She, I thought she got hurt in the final battle, but I'm, I'm misremembering, I guess. But yeah, and and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> She's just walking down the beach with the theme song playing, and uh, all the Yakuza are dead, and the Wildcats are still They're ruined. They're not, they're not coming uh, back, I don't think. Yeah, Takako <laughs> still isn't sure how this could have happened. She doesn't get how any of this went wrong. It is a it is a dark ending. Uh yeah. that, <laughs> it's just like, well, she did get it's a very satisfying revenge. She killed all of oh, those yeah. dudes. It was very fun. <laughs> went on forever. It was great. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I she almost made the one dude pray for death. It, it was rad. Uh but yeah, that's kind of just it. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a grim ending. She got revenge, but you know, that that's it. Revenge is sort of yeah. hollow. Yeah, yeah. Now she has uh, no friends. No, well, maybe she could find her brother, who definitely exists out there. Sure, maybe he'll come back from the Rockies, and they'll have yeah. more adventures. Yeah, that'll. They didn't make any more of these, did they? No, of course not. This was already a ripoff <laughs> of a series. <laughs> Too bad. I, this is I a lot like of fun. her. Oh yeah, we'll we'll totally watch the Sister Street Fighter movies sometime. They're pretty good. Cool. Yeah, right on. Uh, yeah, no, I I enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So our second uh, second feature this week is a 2023 film from Luca Balzer, uh, 
an anthology film called What Doesn't Float, seven different stories in New York. Yeah, uh, we've we've already seen one of the guys, uh, Larry Fessenden? Fessenden. Larry Fessenden. Yeah, we he was in Silver Bullet. Uh, he was the guy who showed up in the introduction, like the opening scene, but never ended up being a character. Right. But he was in it. Yeah, uh, and he he's got he's very recognizable. Like you you mm-hmm. see him, he just has a certain look, uh, and he's just a dude who's in tons of stuff. Uh, I've yeah. seen all sorts of things with him. Uh, Session nine, bringing out the dead. Oh shit! He was in bringing out the dead. He's got a very small role in bringing out the dead. He's just one of the. He he's a coke head. Uh, oh, okay. So he doesn't even have a character name in it. Right. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it, uh, I I like him. And he's yeah. I I would say he's the character in this that has the most heart, or at least his sequence has the most kind of heart and soul to it. Um, uh, I think I I think I agree. Uh, there's there's the one with the girl looking for the bones. That one. Yeah, although there she's a little out of pocket. <laughs> yeah, uh... <laughs> it's it's what leads up to it that makes that one a little less like I don't know about that lady. But yeah. First, of course, we have our paddleboard man. Oh, uh, this fucking guy. <laughs> so, so he's he's going down the canals of the river, and yeah, in a lot of movies and stuff about New York, you don't see this part. Yeah, I like how much it's all. Um the water around new york they're all very close to the water it's uh areas that you don't see that often in movies yeah and what he does yeah uh, it's cool he's water he's paddling around canals and collecting bottles and of course there's it's paralleled with this uh asian lady who's also collecting them on the street and she's got a big uh shopping cart full of them yeah but her it's one of those it's it's an old shopping cart rickety. It's, it's bent out of shape and yeah and, and she's got it right balanced precariously on a curb and he goes by and just the air from his passage makes it fall over and this yeah. makes a huge huge disaster happen <laughs> yeah so he's he just kind of walks away right cuz he didn't knock it over it's not his problem yeah but... i mean it, this is his one crime or his his real crime is that he does not think to help but yeah, someone comes by and is in a state of outrage, and it escalates. You're not gonna. You're just gonna walk, sit there, and walk away while she needs help. You knocked it over. You need to take some responsibility. Well, typical I man. Want to help. Yeah. yeah. Check and your privilege. Check your privilege, and it's like I didn't knock it over. I just. It's like fine, fine. I'll help, and it. She just keeps escalating, and it like both of them just feed off of each other's stupid pointless anger and it just keeps getting worse (laughs) yeah until like basically she's like okay well now give her those back and it's like no these are mine i conduct these are mine from the canal i collected these i came here with these and she's like you're trying to steal those and she's like videotaping him and trying to yeah they're they're tug of warring over this she's she's like doing social media outrage it is very performative yeah so like she falls back and (laughs) <laughs> breaks her, her head, head on the street it's a real loud crack and there's blood yeah. and <laughs> oh yeah he is and, out of there it's like okay i'm not dealing with this anymore yeah and he, and she's <laughs> like got her phone and like video really this man just assaulted me and and he just he's out of there which 
at this point, that's maybe the best choice. Just leave. Get out of there. Yeah. You should maybe call someone, but get out of there. This lady is... Uh, this lady can call someone, too. Yeah, she could stop she live tweeting. She could call someone. <laughs> Hello, Instagram followers. I'm currently bleeding out. If one of my one of my besties could call 911 for me. Yeah, I, I can't uh, turn it off. I might lose clout, uh, <laughs> which is sort of... The, like, that's I, kind I, of... Yeah, that's about what I get from this lady. Yeah, she's too much. So it's like, I, the pal border guy, yeah, he was kind of a dick move to not pick up the thing, but she is worse. She is yeah. aggravating. She's so aggro about it that it makes a, a minor situation into a major situation. And then she's just left by herself on the street. She's like, how well, come yeah. nobody will help me? Yeah, I mean, it's not like the the Asian lady is there to help her. She oh, no, she, she's she not interested. It. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she she just wanted to pick up her stuff and get away from the uh, the nonsense too. Yeah, <laughs> just didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> so that's our first one. Uh, They're very of, quick. The, this movie is are. seventy minutes long, and there's seven sequences. So our next sequence is uh, the girl and the motorbike guy. I hate this guy. <laughs> this fucking guy. This guy so, sucks. So there's this girl. She's hanging out with her friends. They're doing like water balloon fights. But she's dating a motorbike guy because presumably because of the motorbike. Yeah, it seems like he he, he has sort of a cool rebel energy and they're going to go do a thing. And she, he takes she her, wants... <laughs> he takes her to his sex roof. So it's it's a shipping crate, but you don't even get to go in the shipping crate. It's like on a roof. Uh, you need help to get up there because the ladder is not. Uh, yeah, the ladder's not high great. enough. Yeah, and when you get up there, you just see he's got like a bong, uh, sleeping bags, porno mags, bottle of scotch, uh, and a bunch of condoms, and she looks at it and is like. Uh, I, I think, think I want to so. go home. Yeah, and he's like, really? He he's amazed that she's not into <laughs> his sex roof. It's like this is the coolest thing in the world, and he, <laughs> man, he is such a fucking dick. <laughs> he's like, fine, I'll drive you home. But then he starts driving all recklessly, and she doesn't have a helmet. She's just yeah. on the back, and like we've seen them drive there it, it, it is this is a movie very much about locations it's sort of a city mm-hmm. symphony so we get to spend some time living in the locations and going from place to place which is maybe my favorite thing about the movie yeah but uh, yeah he's driving like a total asshole and they're in a big parking lot he does like a hard stop and she gets off it's like fuck you man i'm not getting back on yeah and then she goes to hang out with these fishermen while he just like does angry donuts in the parking lot thinking she's going to come back and she never does of course not and they they've caught like a weird fish i guess it yeah. seems like a deep sea fish yeah yeah like this this bright red thing kind of cool yeah um that's the sex roof that's two i've <laughs> i've just got like these little shorthand names that's sex roof motorbike guy sex roof i mean it is his sex roof and it's like i don't know what he was thinking but it didn't work out yeah. Uh, the third one is Larry Fessenden and his thing. Right. So you have this family who are going through the uh, drive uh, through the, the drive through uh, car wash. Yeah. And there's the, the one little girl is like just thinks it's the coolest fucking thing. 
it's I, I love the way they show it. It's very magical. It does look you, cool. Yeah, it feels like a promotion for a car wash that you're watching. Like a, honestly, yeah. Kind of magical one. And it's intercut with Larry Fessenden setting up his own car wash out. Like he's washing his car by the street. Yeah, by hand. By hand. With like yeah. the bucket and sponge and all that. Yeah. And he's he's enjoying himself. He's ha- <laughs> this he's, isn't he's a chore for him. No, this is great. This is like a positive activity. This is something that is lovely to him. He's having as much fun as the kids are having watching the automated one. Mm-hmm. And there's so just after- sort of a purity to the joy of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, on, on both ends. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they... They're on their way to church. Uh, she's uh, the the girl is sort of the main character of the piece, and she is playing a part in some sort of Easter pageant. Uh, I'm not really sure. It could be Easter. Some sort of religious uh, commemoration. Yeah, but she's forgot her scarf in the car. Right. So she's it's like, let me go back and get it myself. It'll be fine. And on the way back, she accidentally knocks over uh, the guy's water bucket. Right. Uh, Marco is the character's name. And he's he's annoyed because, you know, this is an activity that he enjoys. But he's not a jerk. Or he's like, yeah. all right, well, I need help getting this refilled because my hands aren't very good these days. So yeah. he gets her to go help him refill the bucket. And he's sweet. He has a conversation yeah. about her and he asks about the costume and sort of they they share philosophies mm-hmm. yeah she asks about the cross that he has and he's like oh well yeah it's from my dad but i'm actually jewish right and he's talking about why it matters to do the hand washing why doing it with his hands humbles him and uh, all of that mm-hmm. So after they've filled the bucket, they're about to walk back across the street to where his car is. And and this is really just across the road that they're going back and forth. Mm -hmm. But there's this crazy, crazy, (laughs) yeah, crazy, crazy driver just comes zooming by, nearly hits the girl. Yeah. And Marco overreacts. It is not unlike the lady in the first part. He flips out a bit too much. Yeah, he's like. He demands that the dude apologize and tries to pull him out of the car. Yeah, he starts a fight. He gets punched in the nose and maybe gets his nose broken. And by this point, the the parents are there and they're like, what the hell is going on out here? Get in here. What are you doing? Yeah, they don't. That's the thing that bothers me. Like they see the girl obviously like about to cry. Uh, A dude is bloody and they're they don't ask what's going on. Just like just like get in here. Yeah. Why are you wasting your time with this nonsense? Yeah. What the hell are you doing? But she very sweetly goes and gives him the scarf to uh, uh, deal with the wound, and they they have a moment. It's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's that one. That's that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> two stoners watch Skinny Dipper is the next one. <laughs> this is crazy. This scene is very memorable. Uh, the the two dudes <laughs> getting stoned in the car is pretty basic and straightforward i like that guy just bouncing uh yeah uh and then he's masturbating and watching the the girl on the beach and she just disappears yeah she's she takes off her top and she goes into the water but she doesn't come back up right and And he freaks out too quickly 
he freaks out way too quickly but he's also super fucking high right he's stoned and he has just masturbated and i think he's sort of lost his sense of how long things have happened because he has that really blissful stoned moment where he's just laying there post nut and (laughs) he's just kind of in the front seat of his car looking at the sky and then he sort of leans forward and he looks and he it slowly dawns on him that she hasn't come back up. Yeah. So and then he freaks. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to, I, I guess, check to see if she, well, he goes over there. It doesn't, who knows what he's thinking, but he takes, he takes her, he finds her under her bikini top and he takes that. Yeah. For some reason he finds this, all her stuff on the beach and he ends up collecting all of it. And also by this point, he's got a bunch of, jizz on his hands that he's got all over the wheel of the car and the windshield oh yeah all over the dashboard because he just kind of freaked all of a sudden and he started just getting it everywhere (laughs) and then he's like just trying to drive away and it's that very much just don't be high right now just be normal kind of drive Right, but I, I, it feel like if she hasn't, like at the end of the scene, the button is she comes back up out of the water and wonder where the fuck all her stuff went. But yeah, if she had not come up, it seems like the uh, an accidental, like a thing, like he's going to get accused of this murder or sex yeah. crime because he's got her clothes in her car with his semen on them. <laughs> uh, like this guy just. How did this happen? Because he was too high and just panicked in the stupidest possible way. Yep. But she's fine. <laughs> she's fine. She's just going to have a she's just going to be awkward walk home. Yeah, she's lost on the beach with no clothes. <sighs> that one's funny. <laughs> yeah. So so this next one is this is the girl who wants who buried the bones. Right. So they start in the pool in the backyard. Yeah. And she's just like, hey, can we watch the sun come up? And they're they're kind of hesitant at first, but they're like, yeah, all right. I'm like, okay, I guess. And it's like, no, I know this beach nearby that's really beautiful. And it's definitely the only reason I want to do this. I'm not desperately trying to get you all to do this for any ulterior motive, for sure. And then they get there and it's like, surprise, ulterior motive. So look, I There's found these, these bones. bones. <laughs> And at this point, I'm like, why are these girls going along with this? It is weird. <laughs> she um, keeps looking for them. It's like, I marked them with this ribbon. And it turns out that the ribbon is in this sandcastle some girl is making. And it's a problem. And, <laughs> and But, like, it's a huge problem, though, because she is really upset that she hasn't found these bones. And everyone is else important. is just kind of like... They're like, calm down. <laughs> they're just kind of looking at here? each other. Yeah. So... It looks like she's going to get into a fight. Like, I honestly saw, thought she was going to go over and just start digging up this little girl's sandcastle. It did seem like she was going to kick it down and start a whole fight. And she she faces off with she the mom for a does, second. Yeah, It's like, where did you get that ribbon? I don't know. I just picked up a ribbon. Yeah, I just found a ribbon on the beach. And she it, it may have blown away. It's Who knows how long it's been since she found these bones. Yeah. She just marked them with a random piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah but she's losing it over she this. is losing it it is clearly very important to her and it's not totally clear why and it's it's obviously she has moved it in as into a place of importance in her mind to deal with something else 
yeah so she finally just breaks down she's like i don't know where they are and they they all start talking about something that they all know what they're talking about but they don't elaborate on it for us which i and yeah i I think yeah it's kind of neat and they're all just like hey look we We know know this was hard for you yeah we know you're going through this stuff it's okay uh this thing doesn't matter this much (laughs) yeah and everyone hugs and it's sweet yeah <laughs> so the next is uh the dude and the fish yeah the, the old man in the sea oh no no not the old man in the oh, sea that's later uh, the dr- yeah that's the last one. Oh right no this is the drunk guy and the aquarium oh fish. this fucking guy the worst guy i hate this guy he is the worst guy because i feel like <laughs> this guy doesn't have a sex roof but he's a sex roof advocate. Right. He talks about a sex roof. And I had wondered for a moment if it was maybe the same guy because they're the two most awful people in the movie. And this guy, it's like, it turns into a Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. So it starts out simple enough. It's like, it's 2 a.m. They're out partying. They're having their, like, New York 2 a.m. pizza, which... Mm, I, I want Man, it. I wish. That, that is one of the things. Like, Victoria has no nightlife uh and we should have a place you can like there's second slice downtown which is sort of the closest approximation and they're fine uh yeah but you have to go downtown you have to go all the way downtown midnight to get there i i want there to be diners i want there to be pizza places we don't really have much of that that is one of the we had denny's i I think new york maybe doesn't even have that much of it anymore but obviously there are still places because this is made in new york by real new yorkers yeah. made this year anyway yeah they're partying they're having one of these great college all-night parties yeah yeah but there's one and, guy who just stinks who sucks who's just a total piece of shit yeah yeah and it, they go to crash at the one guy's house and the shitty guy's like hey man what happened to the other fish it's like oh no man the other fish died i got and a my, new one yeah his girlfriend didn't feed it and it it died while uh he was out of town it's like, oh, that sucks. And then you better watch out. Might get hungry in the night. Like, Might eat your fit. Let's, well, no, first he's like, let's pour one out for the goldfish. And he like starts pouring the it's drink like, on the dude's dude, carpet. It's my fucking living room. What's wrong with you, you stupid asshole? But that's his whole thing. He's one of these dudes who just is constantly out of pocket. Mm-hmm. They're on the balcony. And that's what he says. Like, man, a roof is a wonderful way for a guy to get a girl to come back home with you right it's it just what totally aligned him in my mind with sex roof guy because yeah he's like hey he wants a sex roof too this is his dream <laughs> they they have a similar kind of vibe i know uh, yeah i like said in the chat i'm like oh my god he did not just say that <laughs> and then like later on he's you know everybody passes out and he wakes up in the night and he pisses all over the bathroom yeah, like, like, yeah, all over the bathtub, everywhere into the bathtub, the walls. Yeah, um, and not attempting to hit the toilet. No, uh, specifically trying not to. I would say. Yeah, he's just like a sprinkler. Yeah, uh, and this is when he decides he's going to eat the fish. So he, it's he, it takes him a few tries to get the fish. Well, and first he gets like a big, big glass of water. Yeah. A really huge glass of water, and then yeah, he he's having a hard time getting a hold of it because he's a drunk guy. Yeah, but he does manage to get the fish and dumps him into dumps the fish in the glass of water, 
that this fucking moron takes a big yeah he swallows a tropical fish and it's extremely poisonous and he fucking dies real bad (laughs) yeah he's he's choking he's choking to death and then he like it fades to black with him going it's great uh it's the comeuppance he deserves he (laughs) stupidly ate a poisonous fish and died yeah rip so so the next one is the old man of the sea right okay uh yeah i like this guy it's a weird one i i mean i feel bad for this guy even though the lady who fires him is completely right yeah but it it, it still sucks because what else is this poor guy gonna do yeah so he's this guy who's worked on the docks his whole life but he I, i guess it's alcoholism he has delirium tremens or something he can no longer tie a rope yeah, yeah, he, his hands are shaky. He also sleepwalks. Yeah, well, that, I think that's the biggest problem, <laughs> is that yeah. he's not getting any sleep anymore. Yeah, he's always dreaming about, like, being on the sea, and then he wakes up and he's somewhere else. Well, he keeps diving into the sea, and then it's him diving out of bed and hurting himself. Because when he goes to her office, he has all these bruises from falling right. out of bed or diving out of bed. Yeah, and she's like, okay, well, look... You gotta start. You can need to take care of yourself. Your weight. <laughs> it's it's seriously like it's like look, this isn't personal, but you have to take care of yourself because you're no longer capable of doing the job because you haven't been. Your health is deteriorated, and you're doing nothing to to arrest it, and you're no longer capable of doing anything. And he's like, I, I, but it's this is my whole life, and it's like fine, tie a knot, and she yeah, she's puts got a bunch this of huge rope. bundle of rope. <laughs> And he just is like... He doesn't even attempt it. Storms out. He knows he can't. Yeah. Which is like, she's right. (laughs) And it's very unfortunate, but if you can't tie a rope, you can't work on a ship. Yep. (laughs) And yeah, the the other workers are just staring at him as he walks out of the boss's office. Right. So this is where we get all of his dreams. And him having these dreams at night and him diving out of bed and he like goes to get bungee cords to try and tie himself down because he can't tie a knot but yeah. stretchy cords maybe yeah yeah do so it. bungee cord doesn't work yeah. and he ends up like the hook on the cord ends up like tearing a hole in his shirt and and it gets him too yeah he gets cut up and this is when he dives off the bed fully on his face and like yeah badly hurts himself and i uh, it's it, then he meets the lady at the bar uh the bartender the at bartender. the bar that he goes to yeah because right. there's an um, asshole at the bar who's harassing her right yeah yeah there's there's an asshole at the bar but you know she handles it yeah she's completely capable of handling it and oh yeah no there's the lady who's uh been overserved and she's like they said it up give me a double this time <laughs> right and right. then she makes it look like she's pouring a double but she pours half of it into his glass yeah she she's just like got the glass over here and pretending yeah 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 but look, her and him are friends yeah they they have a sort of, like he clearly is a regular which is yeah. partially maybe what's going on in his life that he's not taking care of himself but anyway it is a sense of community that he no longer has because he no longer has the work and it's like what do you know about tying knots? <laughs> <laughs> so 
in what could have been a really sketchy situation, she, <laughs> but isn't because these are both good people here. Yeah. Uh, she goes to his place and ties him down in this elaborate knot setup so that he can still get out when he is awake, but he can't get out when he's asleep. Yeah, and he's finally able to have a proper sleep, and that's sort of what we go out on. Yeah. Maybe it'll be enough to get his job back. Probably not. Not right away. Probably, well, not <laughs> right away. He's no, got to work maybe. on some stuff, but you know, yeah. it, it's it's a little it's glimmer something. of hope. Yeah. 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 Um, I really liked this. It's sweet. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I love the location work. Uh, I I just love the humanity of it. That you do have people who are completely fucking enraging, but you also have people who are very sweet and human. Yeah, you got any all sorts of guys in between it's got a real new yorkiness to it i guess it, mm. both in terms of the locations and the people uh, you know the, like the classic people of new york website right a lot of these I people feel that. just straight out of there right mm-hmm. yeah good shit. yeah yeah and uh and for our credits we go back to our paddleboard guy just going down the canals again yeah and i think we have kind of a bit pop or, or some like 8-bit music going on i i really like the i poster. don't remember but i think so the poster's kind of got a 16-bit style to it that i really dig mm-hmm. yeah and i i really enjoyed this it, it was it was neat to see parts of new york i don't get to see mm-hmm. yeah it, it's, as someone who has never and probably never <laughs> will go there uh yeah it, it is cool to see a lot of locations that are uncommonly filmed in that they're all just nice real locations i i do always love that in movies that's one of the things that i tend to look for especially because you know los angeles plays itself one of my favorite documentaries really makes me aware of locations uh-huh. yeah it was good it's very good so do you have any last thoughts on either of those films before we move on to our third and final section for this week yeah sunny chiba will get here any second now we can we'll just Hold out for a little bit longer and he'll be on the show. I'm afraid Sonny Chiba died on his way back to his home planet. <laughs> oh, he did die. Oh, not yes. that long ago. Yeah, it's... tragically, uh, Chiba died. Let me see. When did he die? Last year or the year before, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, 2021, he died. Huh? Uh, so a couple years ago, he did die of COVID, sadly. Oh, that sucks. That is a bummer. All right. Uh, on to part three. And we're back for the third and final section where we're going to talk about uh, all the physical media we've watched in the past week and obviously decide what we're going to cover next week. What do we got this time? Well, first up, first movie in the Vinegar Syndrome Lost Picture Show, we've got Barbara. Uh, lost film from 1970. Um crazy hippie film it's a free love movie but like free love to an extent that it is and they go over this in the booklet and i've seen it in other reviews it is counterproductive to its own message okay (laughs) it's it's very very free love Hmm. (laughs) it's like (laughs) please I feel like we talked about this a little bit last week, or yeah, I, I introduced it last week. I hadn't seen it yet, but it was the first thing okay. I watched. I watched it after we recorded, and it's fucking crazy. So there's this teenage girl, Barbara, and she 
is going to have her hot girl summer on uh, Fire Island. Now, are you familiar with Fire Island, New York? Uh, not really, no. Very key queer location. Uh, okay. The long running, I, I think the oldest uh, explicitly queer, all queer community in America. Oh, all right. Fire Island. Uh, so it's uh, it's one of the barrier islands off uh, the eastern edge of Long Island. So just okay. off the coast of New York, right? So what right. doesn't float territory? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, but it's 1969 and, you know, it's uh, obviously hippie time and everybody's you know, going crazy. Uh, so the, you get this lady, she's uh, getting it on with her boyfriend out on Fire Island on the beach. So very like it's it's not hardcore, but it's very it's as explicit as they could possibly get away with at the time. Okay, <laughs> lots okay. of sex and long sex scenes. <laughs> so they have sex, and this is over the music and the opening credits. No, no, right, not music. It's a bunch of people being interviewed about sex. Okay, so just audio of people being interviewed about uh, sex and censorship and pornography and, you know, uh, subjects ranging from a teenage girl to a Catholic priest. Well, they have sex, obviously. Yeah. So they have sex and uh, her, her guy passes out and this guy leaps out of a bush and he starts having sex with her and she resists at first and then she's into it. And. This is all still opening credits. They're still all doing these interviews. We don't have any dialogue here. She, He finishes having sex with her, and then he starts having sex with her guy, and he resists at first, but then he gets into it. <laughs> and they're all having a threesome. <laughs> Please. I, I, I kind of feel like I should start counting the, t- the number of times you say they're having <laughs> sex, and he, she, she resists, he resists at first, and then she's into it. She's into it. Uh, yeah, so he he has sex with both of them, and then they're all having sex together. And it turns out he's a cult leader. They start sex club. First rule of sex club: you always talk about sex club. You don't talk about anything <laughs> other than sex club. <laughs> oh God, that made of Patty Hearst when they're like describing yeah. who has sex with who and <laughs> <laughs> see them. It's just we're always all having sex with each other all the time. And you know what? We need more people. So your assignments, we we need to grow the cult. We need to spread this free love thing. So Try to have sex with a total stranger and lose. (laughs) I mean, the the assignment is go go have sex with two more people. Or three more people. Three more. (laughs) uh, Yeah, go go out and get get laid with three more people. And of course, Barbara, she's like a teenager who doesn't know anybody. She's back in her apartment. Like The only people I know are my... I only know three people. It's my brother, my dad, and my mom. Wow. <laughs> no, 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 no. Where, where, no. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and that's not even the most shocking thing to see in this movie. Oh, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, what, one of the other guys picks up a dude and his dog. And there's a scene where he's having a threesome with the guy and his dog. I know some people, like... <laughs> So most people don't even want the dog in the room. The dog's right in between. Uh, okay. It was really a heck of a thing. Very strange movie. Uh, Sounds like it. The sort of movie that you watch is like, 
I get why that didn't, uh, I get why that's lost. I get why that kind of didn't, that <laughs> mostly didn't get released. I see. All right. <laughs> uh, but again, much like Rare Blue Apes, it's like, I mean, I'm having a blast. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, next, from the Ormond box. This one is a fucking banger. It's about the second coming. <laughs> this is the first all Tim. This is a Tim Ormond joint. Uh, it's fucking crazy. Because <laughs> like you got some Bible tales, right? Some some basic sure. Bible tales, but most of it is like this speculative, post-apocalyptic future that's like. Uh, Christians are being shot on site by laser guns because they don't have the mark of the beast tattooed on them, and everybody else agreed to it. If cyber footmen yeah, tire yeah. you, what will cyber horses do? It's it's straight up just them doing footmen as a future dystopia in flash forwards while they're also doing like classical Bible stories and ones that are really fucked up and weird, like uh, the binding of Isaac is what we start with. Okay. I know familiar? there's a video game with okay. that name, but I don't know the story. So uh, I, I think it's, is it Noah? Is it Noah or is it Moses? Christ, I don't fucking know. I can't remember anymore. Anyway, important figure in the Bible is is told to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And uh, sure. he takes him up onto the mountain. He's supposed to tie him up and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to God. God tells him this personally. And so... All right, that's kind of crazy and out of nowhere, but all right. So he goes up with his kid, and he's just hoping at some point the God will just change his mind. And okay, uh, God, I'm sacrificing my kid now. Right, and he's like, uh, we're really okay. gonna do it. Like we're we're at a point where we can't really take this back emotionally because I've bound his legs and feet and I've put him on the burning pyre and I'm raising a knife. And then finally, that that when he's raised the knife is when God says psych and then he, he he has a lamb show up and he's like you could kill that and burn it for me instead so that's what they do uh oh god <laughs> you're such a kidder <laughs> you you old coot uh yeah so it's that's one of those there's just it, it, i don't know it's fucking bonkers it's <laughs> it's my favorite one in the entire set i think uh it's okay. really funny there's so many just extended fantasies kind of thing, you know, uh, mm. <laughs> of just being persecuted in the future. Right, right. And and it's all tied together by this story of this one guy who just doesn't really want to go to church. And he his wife keeps nagging him to go to church, but he doesn't feel like he should. And then it's flashing forward to him in the dystopian future. And everybody's got the mark of the beast. And there's like police and laser guns, police with laser <laughs> cannons shooting Christians in the alleyways. And and he really regrets not going to church now. <laughs> but he's not getting shot in the alleyway, though. And if he had gone to church, he would be no, getting he, shot. In the... he, oh. he ultimately does, because for oh, some okay. reason, then it becomes very important to him. That's always oh. like a thing in these. I, there, there's always like this person who is totally uninterested in then. Suddenly there's some vast change where they have to explicitly say they're not Christian and now they now they regret everything. All right, right. I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> not me. Uh next is Amazon Jail 2, which 
All right. <laughs> Honestly, has nothing to do with Amazon jail. It's weird. Like I said last week, they're kind of the same premise. You got some women who've been kidnapped and they're being sex trafficked in a prison in the Amazon jungle. Except this one's right. a different genre. Oh? This one's a goofy comedy. <laughs> okay. Like, it's the same plot, but there's like... There, there's this fat guy who's really comical and people are always throwing dynamite around and it always seems to end with him just like putting it under his butt and then it blows <laughs> up and he like burps smoke. So it's that silly, <laughs> you know? Wiley Coyote comedy. <laughs> yeah, except it's still a plot about women escaping sex traffickers in the Amazon jungle. So it's, I don't know, it's a strange mix of tones. <laughs> the women should paint a tunnel onto the wall and then go through it and then the pursuers won't be able to because they'll crash into the wall i mean it would work in this movie i think that would actually work oh nice yeah uh it, it's it's strange it's just a weird thing uh i don't know it, it's pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> next went back to the ormond box and finished it off which is why we'll be Picking up uh, or uh, concluding with a inactive stacks pick this week. So okay. I, I also did watch a couple uh, extra features in this because there's a couple TV specials directed by Tim that they include. Oh, <laughs> uh, one of them is supposed to be a uh, Lash LaRue's life story. So I'm just going to okay. quickly mention these two because I don't know if you'll even bother to watch them if we do these. But um, Lash LaRue's life story, and you get a bit of that. And you get some footage of Orman films that he was in. Sure. Yeah. And then, uh, like, both of these are sub an hour. Uh, and uh, it's like 15 minutes in the end. It's like, well, why don't you talk to my good friend June Ormond? And she talks about all these projects that she has on the go. <laughs> so you can promote some more <laughs> Ormond projects. There's one called Minstrel Man, which looked very troubling. <laughs> uh, and there is also one that's a tribute to Houdini, but it's, okay. <laughs> it turns out to have nothing to do with Houdini. It's just this promo reel for this guy, John Calvert, who uh, he does all, he has uh, an elaborate series of magic acts that we see bits of. Uh, but he also does crazy stunts like driving vehicles with duct tape on his eyes. <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> including flying a plane with duct tape on his eyes oh geez winning boat races with the duct tape on his eyes that shit's rad um <laughs> but he is also kind of the main character of the sacred symbol which is the last film in the set sort okay. of because it's sort like of. <laughs> it's like a mondo film like you remember the very first one i think it was untamed mistress yeah yeah, where it's just people looking at footage that is supposed to somehow be a thing I'm that they're looking at. This at. Footage and I'm actually here. Yeah, here's this footage that the audience is seeing, and we're all in a room, and we're seeing it for real too. We're definitely looking at it. <laughs> that's and they're that's laughing the just outside the frame. <laughs> yeah, like this one. At least they're not supposed to be in the same place. They're supposed to be in a room watching the footage being played. But I also do not see okay. how the footage could be played in the room. <laughs> like how? it's that lazy, you know? Like, is there no like no projector, no TV? Is that what you're saying? There's John Calvert and he's telling them his stories. And I guess we're supposed to imagine these things, but they're also supposed to be like they're reacting to things in them. 
Like we, <laughs> I don't know, it, it lazy, bad, uh, and it, it, it like most of it is just old fucking clips of random, vaguely spooky religious practices that are foreign, all like sort of building up and like oh silly superstitions, but then finally at the end, the guy reveals, but like, oh, but Jesus is the one true way. And you know that's that's how I'm able to fly planes with uh, my with with duct tape on my eyes. It's Jesus, and that's the real true oh. faith. And it's like it feels like such a gotcha. There, there's a dude in the audience who's pissed off, and <laughs> like in in the movie, in the movie within the movie. And I don't know. It's it's pretty bad, but there are some fun bits. Like the the dude flying the plane with duct tape on his eyes is fun. You get more of it in his own movie which is theoretically a Houdini movie. Also, there's a portrayal of people getting stoned to death for, I don't know, uh, disagreeing with someone. Uh, early Christian <laughs> martyrs, I think it was. And it's just funny. Just they, they have people being stoned to death for some time in the movie. All right. <laughs> what a thing. Uh, next up, a familiar face. Friday the 13th, a new beginning. <laughs> oh, hey, the final chapter wasn't the last one. Had a long week. Had a really long week. Uh, so I had to put on a Jason. Oh, this, this one isn't a Jason. <laughs> oh, right. This is the <laughs> this is uh, the replacement Jason. This is Roy. Roy the movie. Uh <laughs> I, I sent you that clip that uh, is so fucking hysterical where the police chief is just standing uselessly in the middle of the street next to a couple murders. It's like, what the hell's going on around here? And Roy, <laughs> the killer, we, we have had nothing to suggest that Roy is the killer until like, we won't know until the very end when suddenly uh, the mask is taken off and we see his face and we're supposed to remember it from this being the last time we saw him at this moment. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you talking to me, chief? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, Roy, I'm not talking to you. It's like, it sounded like you were talking to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, it was supposed to be Corey Feldman back too. Oh, okay. But uh, it didn't work out that way. He was making the Goonies, and uh, he was too big for Friday the 13th by that point. They had him for one night. So uh. he he appears at the beginning in the, like a dream sequence, and then he wakes up, and it's this other dude who doesn't look anything like him. It's very intense. <laughs> look at this photograph of Corey Feldman, your brother. <laughs> well, it's him, but he's older. Uh, oh... Yeah, and he's he goes to a halfway house. I don't really know what happened with the sister. I think the mom died. It was not really clear in the last movie, but she seemed to have died. <laughs> right? I don't know if they even found I think the body. so, actually. Yeah, hmm. she did die, didn't she? I don't remember. I don't remember either. It's a confused last sequence in that film. I, I mean, well, as as are all Friday the 13th final sequences. They tend to be. Right. But so it's weird because he is at a halfway house and all of the other people who are there are troubled teens. So it does make it feel kind of extra nasty in a way that they're all getting horribly murdered. Mm. Especially because they're some of the nastier murders. I mean, you don't see much of them because he got really chopped to bits by censors. 
but oh shoot one of those say but yeah it's pretty nasty uh it was directed by a guy who has a past in uh directing porn i think i know that the people in the crystal lake memories documentary really harp on that <laughs> so, I, apparently there was also one really long sex scene that they severely had to cut down or it would have gotten an x rating oh really yeah <laughs> Uh, but of course, it all starts because there's this fat guy who's eating chocolate bars and getting it on the laundry. And then he's bothering this guy who is extremely aggro and should not be with these other people who are at completely different areas of development and troubled teenness. Oh, yeah, you showed me the clip of the fat guy was just going on and on. <laughs> just droning on and on about whatever. And finally, uh, the guy axes him to death. And then uh, it, it turns out his his secret dad is Roy, the ambulance driver, who comes to pick up the body. And it breaks his mind. And he just goes on an insane killing spree. He doesn't ever kill the guy who killed the kid. Because <laughs> no. no, that guy never... gets hauled off, he goes to the pl- he goes to jail at the start. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he just goes it's and like kills. That. He just kills everybody in town. It's it's maybe the highest body count up to this point. It's crazy. Oh wow! Like in McBain, how they don't kill the drug lord. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. It's it's a bad one, but I, I'm still fascinated by it. <laughs> All right. Next, we've got another 48 hours. It was a few years later. They're like, hey, that first 48 hours was pretty popular. Why don't we make another 48 hours? <laughs> is it just another one? I mean, it kind of is. Mm. I, I, it, it's made by Walter Hill, so it still looks really good. The action's really tight. Uh, the chemistry between Nolte and Murphy is still strong. It's just, there's no reason for it to be. Uh, <laughs> it, it, and also... They really have to manufacture it because it's been five years since I know it's been this is 1990, I think. The first movie is like 82. Oh, wow. And at the end of the first one, Murphy was supposed to be getting out of prison in six months. So they have this backstory where he robbed the prison payroll in prison and got another five years. So it's him finally oh. getting out of jail, and he's really mad now. Uh, so he's a <laughs> bit meaner and more sour of a character, which is sort of a problem in it. Uh, and it's you know it's a ninety, it's nineteen ninety, so we are in that peak action era. We're in McBain territory, so it's really escalated. You have this biker gang massacring people because <laughs> a, a hit is out on him, uh, and. There's a dude in the police force who's working against them, uh, who is actually the Iceman, who's this serial killer that McNulty is the only person who believes in. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's it's just doing a lot of things to recreate the pattern of the first movie. And I mean, all of the scenes are still pretty solid. I did send you that one really fun clip of uh nolte he's like ah, everybody else trying to get in a bar fight <laughs> bar fights and you know people <laughs> breaking bottles over their heads and chairs and when he's saying bottles his eyes are following a bottle a beer bottle going past the front of the screen he grabs it and smashes <laughs> on the guy's head <laughs> eh. 
It's fun. Yeah, I mean, not you'd see forty-eight hours first. <laughs> Definitely, it doesn't stand on its own. Not so much. I mean, maybe it stands better on its own, but you'd be better off seeing forty-eight hours. All right. Uh, next is American Ninja Two: The Confrontation. Ooh. This one's even sillier than the first one. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, the first one's corny. Uh, this one, they're super soldiers. But like, uh, it's not like they had an extra budget. <laughs> so they're at a rec center. They've got some tubes, the glass <laughs> tubes, and they're in a rec center. Sometimes they have to come out and fight in the middle of it to prove their worth and <laughs> yeah and it's like so our, our main guy dudikoff he's sent to a new place and it's like the opening of the previous one except he's with his buddy that he made among the crew after getting all those guys massacred somehow okay <laughs> so it's his one best buddy and the two of them they're going and now they're both the tight wads in the group because they go to i want to say the bahamas or hawaii or something and it's just beautiful beach area and everybody's pretty chill and they're all marines and they're like you guys are army man (laughs) (laughs) but i guess they win them over with their fighting skills uh i don't know as you do in these things yeah you know it's it's one of those it's the same movie again (laughs) next is terminal invasion uh this is a bruce campbell movie I haven't seen a lot of Bruce Campbell. I think it's a sci-fi channel original, maybe. Okay. At least an adjacent level of production. So it's like uh, The Thing. You know, The Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, The Thing. Yeah, it's The Thing. Uh, it's also sort of like, well, it's it's based on all the things that The Thing is based on. So Who Goes There, I think, is the original story. So uh, it's it's kind of the thing meets Assault on Precinct 13, though, essentially, but with Bruce Campbell, which sounds amazing. But that remember, sound... it's a TV movie, uh, <laughs> a TV movie from 2002 with TV CG. Oh, yeah. So th- there are problems. It's very cheap. It's Canadian made. I think it's made in Toronto. <laughs> I mean, it just keeps sounding worse, right? <laughs> you so, could have said none of that. And I I'm know. All over this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Bruce Campbell, he's the tough prisoner whose prison transport breaks on the way down and he ends up stranded at this airport. And I think it's in Alaska. Okay. Very snowy. There, there's a blizzard, and he gets there, and the place is already infiltrated with aliens, and they're disguised as humans. And he's the first one to find out because he's Bruce Campbell, and that's what he does best. He's the guy who sure. knows what nobody else knows. So, yeah, but it always has to blow up in his face somehow. Yeah, and that's mostly what happens for most of the movie. It's him doing nice. that thing, you know. It's a assault on precinct thirteen slash the thing. He's in the bathroom and someone turns into an alien and uh the this other guy gets killed and he manages to kill the alien but then the alien dissolves into i want to say it's like a it's like a n64 sequence (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like a big just pink imagining pool. like this yeah. YTV-esque computer <laughs> yeah. animation. Yeah, yeah. YTV is a good signifier for that too. <laughs> and and yeah, and so he goes through this whole thing. Obviously, he wants to get out of the prison clothes. They go through some luggage. They find his costume from Evil Dead. So he's dressed like Ash, <laughs> obviously. Why wouldn't he of be? Of course. Of course. Does he get a chainsaw? <laughs> I don't think they do a chainsaw, which is really a missed opportunity. Uh, but yeah, it's it's cheap and it's dumb, but, you know, it was fun enough. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Killer Nerd. I sent you a ton of clips from this because this is fucking terrible, but it is compelling. Fascinating. Yeah, this looks really bad. <laughs> super bad. Bad taste, you know? Uh, Toby Radloff, genuine nerd. Uh, you have not seen American <laughs> Splendor, so hard to explain this guy. Uh, he was sort of an early MTV celebrity. Okay. Because he was in these weird underground comics, which sort of gave him some kind of bubbling under fame and then he did some bumpers for mtv after he got discovered there there was a whole thing with he was a gigantic revenge of the nerds fan okay yeah yeah he felt seen you know when those <laughs> movies came out that's like that's me that i'm that guy i i like to sexually assault women it's sorry that, that i don't know if that's <laughs> but that's what happens in the movie though yeah, that's what I'm talking about. In in this, yeah. it's like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. He's, I, I, I mean, he's clearly someone who is on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it sort of feels a little exploitative, honestly. Uh, oh. But, I mean, honestly, he loves it and he still loves it. So, oh. what can I say? Yeah, I mean, as I long have, as he's happy. I have a copy of it with his autograph on it right now. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's he is very authentic and yeah it's like i know what i am i am a nerd and it's like <laughs> are you maybe does is it asperger's maybe though uh and it it kind of just made me think that the classic nerd archetype just comes from people who have uh social and disability learning disabilities or uh social disabilities I'm 99% sure that's the case. Yeah, and it, it makes them just all the grosser. <laughs> anyway, he's bullied. He, you know, there are some punks who are mean to him and uh he uh, his his mother is just this smothering presence. Uh he, he's got kind of an Edgeen uh slash what's his name? Uh Bumblebutt. Oh, uh, Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. Yeah, he's got a, he's got an Ed's sort of vibe, both serial killers. And he he goes and gets a makeover. <laughs> and they give oh. him like a neon blue suit and he gets the classic nerd style. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he he meets some punk chicks who think, you know, his individuality is kind of cool, so they take him back to some place, but it turns out to be the punks who were bothering him earlier and they bully him more. And then he decides to just become a mass murderer. Sure. That's... To, to get revenge. Uh, also, just anyone who was ever mean to him, uh, his co-workers, his mom. Uh, there's the, the, his whole workplace thing. It's like that meme of 
it's like constantly them repeating the the right and wrong meme of right way to talk to a woman at work is the (laughs) picture of the handsome guy and the picture of the dumpy guy he's the dumpy guy and there's the handsome guy who's just saying really off the wall shit constantly (laughs) i mean it's gross it's it's something (laughs) next we've got the witch's mirror next one in the indicator mexico macabre box uh pretty cool uh it's this there's this lady who's a witch i it's really funny in in light of having watched stuff like uh witch hammer and similar things like Haxon and stuff where we've thoroughly debunked witchcraft it's been debunked for many many years right right yeah yeah of like, course Hexen, uh the the swedish film comes out in 1922 and it's about how uh, hysteria over witches has been a way for society to control trouble women, uh, women who are trouble for centuries. So this is 1962. So it is funny when it opens up with, of course, we know that witchcraft is real and the Catholic Church has been an important bulwark against it for many centuries. <laughs> and of course, the exorcist, 1970, whatever, it's like, no, 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 we don't do exorcisms. We're embarrassed by that. But it is a Mexican movie. It's a very Catholic country. Oh, that's a good. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Um, it it is more like the witch is sort of the hero in this movie. So I don't know why they're starting with that. I guess maybe to soften that. Uh, but there's this witch, and her goddaughter is like fated to die. Right. And she she's like trying to go up the chain of command to her. I can't remember the name of her personal demon and he's like no i'm sorry the the commands come down the line she has to die that's just the way it is so uh her weird mad scientist husband poisons the girl and she dies but the witch uses her magic mirror to bring her spirit back and curse the new wife okay sure and she comes back and she like get she sets the new wife on fire and her face gets all burned up and then the mad scientist is doing all these skin graft operations and it becomes uh eyes without a face for a while and he's just you know uh, trying to find i can't seem to source enough young women who are dead Hmm. one of those things how will i solve this what do you think my unscrupulous uh second in command yeah well uh, i heard about these guys burke and Hare. they solved the problem right and there there is a thing where they find a woman who's not actually dead but he turns off the other guy there's they want to cut off the hands because they look exactly like his ex-wife's hands and they're so perfect and beautiful uh, which I don't know what all that's about, but anyway, the mystically the ex-wife's spirit possesses, like she replaces the dead hands that have been amputated from this other woman with her own real hands, which are then transplanted uh, on the wife. And then, I mean, you know, <laughs> sure, sure. I'm definitely following this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And last is Nightmare Beach, a late era slasher, very crazy spring break slasher. Okay. Uh, You got 
in in the opening sequence, you see this guy executed in the electric chair for a murder he did not commit. We learn later that he definitely didn't commit it. He was just hammered at the time. I mean, he was a bad guy, but uh-huh. he didn't he didn't do it. Uh, he was framed by John Saxon. Oh, <laughs> what a jerk! Yeah, that John Saxon, uh, evil Miami <laughs> Beach police officer, or no, no, sorry, Manatee Beach. <laughs> manatee beach yeah florida spring break at manatee beach and there's this guy and so the slasher is in an head-to-toe leather-clad biker outfit uh with a motorbike helmet so you right. never see a face during all the killings and driving around on a motorbike with an electric chair on the back that's awesome <laughs> electrocuting people uh <laughs> all over the place ridiculous you know just totally fucking crazy and it's also kind of a jaws because they're trying to pretend these killings are not taking place because it'll you know that'll ruin spring break (laughs) you can't close the beaches of fort lauderdale on sprung break i mean it is exactly you know uh uh, you've got a, a medical examiner who they're having just fake all of the murders into their they're like just taking the bodies out behind the county line and burying them (laughs) (laughs) it's silly (laughs) Uh, sounds fun though it's pretty fun i got a soundtrack by claudio simonetti uh he's one of the dudes from goblin uh so suspiria he's one of those dudes uh every time the evil biker shows up it starts to like thrash guitar like like, oh god someone's gonna get electrocuted (laughs) (laughs) uh so those are our you know 11-ish picks for this week uh what do you figure uh well I kind of like the idea of a dude with a motorbike with an electric chair on the back. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty metal. Yeah. So let's go with that. Um, Why don't we do. I feel like we're kind of due for another Ormond roundup, but I don't want to do like a full four or five or all the rest of them in between those ones. The last ones we did. Here's what I figure. There's only a couple of them that are worth talking about in depth, but I figure you should watch them. I mean, most of them sure. are like an hour long. Yeah, most no, of, like, for sure. I don't think any of them are more than an hour. So yeah. like maybe watch the other ones and jot down a note or two as you're going through. But the only ones I'd say we want to talk in depth, it's about the second coming. There's going to be a lot to say. That one we I'd say cover top to bottom and maybe whoa, what were the other ones here hold on here we go the set uh that and the heaven and hell ones i think we could right. kind of pair some discussion of because both of those are pretty interesting the other two perkles yeah yeah there was two other perkles and then a bunch after that uh there's one in between the grim reaper which we we don't need to talk about because <laughs> okay. it's it's just their knockoff version of the burning hell. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, crappier version and 39 stripes. The one I talked about last week about the prison ministry, which again, we don't really need to talk about that sacred symbol. We don't really need to talk much about that, but I'd say second <laughs> coming and those, the, the heaven and hell ones there, there might be a decent amount to talk about. All right. Well, I mean, 
yeah, it's, it's going to be a pretty packed up part two then it looks like. Yeah, that should be fun. Uh, <laughs> finish up the Ormonds uh, for as much as what's in this set. I do have some other Ormond stuff outside the set. Oh, really? Okay. I guess they weren't able to get their hands on. There is one of the early Lash LaRue Westerns that I've got. Uh, and there, uh, Ron Urban shot a bunch of roller derby when the sport was starting up. So I've got some roller derby shot by him. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, so a uh, few additions to the stacks before we do our pick for this week. Okay. In the Lost Picture Show box, uh, first is the Las Vegas Strangler, also known as No Tears for the Damned. Oh. Uh, it seems like it's uh, one of these very early slashers. So it's in the vein. It's like doing a mockbuster thing of Psycho, but with boobs. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's this guy wandering around Vegas. His wife's cheated on him. So, you know, much like the Flesh trilogy that I talked about a little, little while back. Yeah. Uh, his wife cheated on him. So now he's just in a psychotic rage, mostly murdering uh, sex workers and gay guys. Because okay. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, next. People who you can murder and it'll be fine. Exactly. It's it's the stuff you can get away with. Uh, they, they were already doing this in 68. They already knew the temple. <laughs> uh, next, Top Knot Detective. Uh, this is actually one I, it was the first thing I put in for my subscriber uh, uh, box a couple weeks back. But the copy I originally got was defective. Oh, no. So, uh, so I finally just got, like, just before we started recording today, I got my replacement copy. So I'm jazzed to put this at the top. Uh, it is an Australian picture, but it's about this guy who had a popular TV show called Talk Not Detective in, like, the 60s. Okay, okay. And it's sort of, it's a mockumentary about the history of this show and how crazy it got. The clips I've seen <laughs> from it look really fun. All right. <laughs> Titled in Japan, Deductive Reasoning Ronin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next, Filler Up with Super, which is, I think it is a French, yeah, uh, it, it, this is a French movie about this guy who he's hired to drive a car to someone else on the French Riviera. And okay. he picks up a couple other dudes along the way, and it's just them on this road trip. Uh, very existential, very just dudes and cars movie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, next, Bride of Killer Nerd. This oh, time he's got a girlfriend. Do they do they get like a bunch of other nerd parts together and put them together to make a girl nerd? I think this time there's just he has a girlfriend and. Uh, he's killing specifically for her oh great and i think it's nastier from everything i've heard it's the nastier meaner one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> oh boy indeed uh and last edition is the brainiac which looks totally fucking mental please open and take a look at the banner picture because you All need to right. see it Let, okay let's see let's open up the brainiac uh all right what is the okay hold on we got this <laughs> what is this it i don't know like a, it's the brainiac uh, like, kind of like does it is that its mouth 
Yeah, yeah. See, it it eats brains. That's what it's the brainiac. It's got this tongue that comes out and it sucks the brain. Oh, okay. But it's also got like like eh. that's a rubber mask, and it's not a very good one. Oh, it looks terrible, but I think it'll be hilarious. So it is about uh, in during the Spanish Inquisition, I guess we've also got the Mexican Inquisition, the Holy Inquisition of Mexico. Okay. And they execute this important baron and he swears vengeance. So 300 years later, there's a comet going over and uh, it brings the baron back as the brainiac. And it, <laughs> it eats the brains of the people who passed sentence on him and killed him. Sounds okay. rad. Honestly, like the, the it's, it looks stupid, but I, I'm going to definitely have fun with that one. Oh, yeah. No, that sounds... <laughs> that sounds, it sounds like something anyway. Yeah. <sighs> uh, so those are the only additions for this week. But this week, we will also be doing a pick from the inactive stacks uh, since I finished the Ormond set. And we will be finishing the Ormond set. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, by the time this episode is recorded and actually comes up, it'll be either at, like, right almost on Christmas. Is there anything? It'll be pretty close to Christmas, yeah. So yeah. I, di- I do have some wintry stuff at the bottom okay. uh, that I shuffled some stuff up. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't watch a lot of Christmas movies, so yeah, I, I, I mean... couldn't think of a lot. <laughs> uh, I do have specifically Santa Claus which is the Rene Cardona Sr. Santa Claus movie. Uh, you may oh. have seen the Mystery Science Theater version of it. Um, I may have. <laughs> uh, it's Santa Claus in a rivalry for the souls of two Mexican children. One of them's a rich boy and one of them's a poor girl. Uh, and the boy is lonely because his parents are out partying at Christmas and the girl really wants a doll, but her family's really poor and... There's... Santa Claus teams up with Merlin. Merlin works in his castle and gives him potions and goes. Endlessly for like, oh man, a really long time. They have all sorts of ways that they can spy on people from Santa's castle, obviously. And they're in a rivalry with this demon pitch who is supposed to corrupt the souls of these kids. Okay. I mean, I, I will admit it, it's, it's notoriously bad. It's kind of hmm. brain meltingly <laughs> stupid, but uh, it's the Christmasiest thing I could come up with. Uh, but some of these other ones are also <laughs> pretty wintry. There is obviously okay. passion of Joan of Arc, which obviously has a Christian theme to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Winter beast, winter, beast. winter night. I recall Fire in the Sky having a lot of snow in it. That's the one about uh, uh, famous uh, abduction flap, the Travis Walton abduction. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um. Hmm. And I, for some reason, I recall Terror in a Texas Town having snow in it. I don't know why, though. <laughs> it be, it is Texas, but yeah, it hmm. does have a harpoon fight at the end. Oh. Gun versus harpoon. That's what you see on the poster. Kind of rad. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, there's not a lot of uh, Christmas winter stuff, but you know, whatever. That's fine. That's fine. I, it's, it's not really a genre that we go out of our way to explore. <laughs> no. Uh, and then there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's not one I'm 
that into. They all just seem hallmarky, you know? Yeah, and it's hard to coordinate with holidays because of yeah, the nature because... of our, our uh, yeah. recording path. <laughs> it, it works better for a month-long thing like Halloween. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So we just kind of got what we got. You know what also has occurred to me, and this has nothing to do with Christmas. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's been like three or four now, but I've yet to actually see a Sonny Chiba movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. I mean, he was in... Hmm, didn't we do... he was in that samurai one he was yeah he was in the samurai's shadow but yeah he was a pretty minor character in that i guess you didn't do any of the other ones from that set no uh the, the closest i saw to a sunny chiba movie is like the closest he come to being the star is in uh what is it uh hiroshima deathmatch right right and he's a fairly significant uh villain even that or... he's not the star yeah he's sort of an antagonist in it right yeah. Yeah. But uh, I see that. So I saw you had Yakuza Wolf on there. Mm-hmm, Yakuza Wolf. That, that had... is, that's the first one in the first uh, Sunny Chiba collection. Yeah, we we uh, I had bypassed that before, and I have always a little bit regretted it. I love it's... this one. This one was probably my favorite one in the first set. Super stylish. Uh, it's just this dude who decides to take down the Yakuza because they pissed him off. <laughs> and that's that's chiba's character he's like fuck you yakuza i am taking all of you down so he's the yakuza wolf he's the wolf taking out the yakuza oh man and i do love watching i love watching yakuza stuff sometimes like the the emotional yakuza stuff or also even the these yakuza are just pure evil and need to die stuff it's all fun it's good it's it's a, it's a genre that uh, uh has a lot in it um yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of the modern Western genre of Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, sorry, uh, go yeah, ahead. cool. I, and I do recall this having some snowy sequences in hey, it. Hey, there we go. We'll we'll shoehorn in a Christmas <laughs> theme somehow. It might honestly even take place at Christmas. I I am picturing snow and a lot of neon. I'm going to laugh it's... my ass off if that turns out to be true. I mean, hell, we did a Christmas movie this week, anyways. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did um yeah so yeah yakuza wolf a christmas film and also we're doing a bunch of ormond stuff so we've got some christian christian jesusy things yeah and we'll have it with nightmare beach which is just some crazy fucking bullshit (laughs) (laughs) oh all right it's gonna be Uh, good times yeah should, should be good so yeah next week we've got yeah, as a wolf, uh, we're going to conclude our discussion of the From Hollywood to Heaven, the Lost and Saved Films of the Ormond Family box with, uh, we'll, we'll talk some heaven, we'll talk some hell, we'll talk the second yeah. coming. <laughs> and of course, Nightmare Beach by uh, the great exploitation, uh, Italian exploitation legend Umberto Lenzi. Did all sorts of great stuff. Nightmare City, one of my favorite zombie movies cool which you have not seen but no. we'll, so we'll watch it sometime this is nightmare beach he did nightmare city they're red awesome <laughs> man it's gonna be man it's gonna be a huge one next week super sized uh all right well do you have any last thoughts before we close up for this week uh, uh you can do it baki <laughs> uh Brazil.